You have returned to listening to Loathsome Things, a horror movie podcast where I, Josh, and he, John, talk about the horror movies that we watched over the prior two weeks. John, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I'm really excited about talking about this movie, um, whatever that means, what I said there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, um, doing all right. Uh, uh, the world sucks, but, uh, how are you doing, sir? The world does suck, and that is pretty much my experience of it. Um, yeah, yeah, it blows chunks. Thankfully, we have horror movies to dive into instead yes. of focusing on the horrific things going on outside of our houses. <laughs> Everything's horrible. Let's watch horrible stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. Uh, I am in the middle of watching all of the Halloween franchise in order. Yes, uh, I see that. Yeah, it's it's been fun. I I was not expecting to enjoy as many of the movies as much as I have. I, I have intentionally avoided all of them except the David Gordon Green ones, and uh, now now I'm going to have to watch them because it's one of those things. I was like, I'll watch them one day, but I just haven't gotten around to it. So, of course, I've seen one, two, and three, and then skipped right over all that other shit and just went straight to the David Gordon Green, which the first one... No, I take that back. I did watch the Rob Zombie once. Yeah. Um, Both of them? But, uh, yeah. 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 First one, good. Second one, <laughs> I am I am halfway through... I had to stop watching the second one so that we could record, and, like, I was just getting to the part where, like, his... Mom is like the snow queen in a in a shared dream space and I was like okay we're getting we're getting real later era rob zombie feeling right here. Yeah, he goes off the rails a little bit on that one, but the first one was good. I actually liked it. Yeah, I think it's one of his better movies, which so you know, it's saying something compared to his good movies and mm -hmm. it's not saying much compared to everything else. Yeah, yeah, he he yeah. Yeah, it, it it made me, it really helped me identify, like, the, the things that I really like about his movies. Like, he does really good stuff, and he loves horror movies, and it's it's always good to see a movie by someone that loves horror movies. But then he's also, like, an embarrassing uncle type of dude, where it's like, oh, come on, no, oh, you were, like, oh, yeah, I could almost invite my friends over, but just not quite, because you're gonna pull out this box and show us the things in it. No. Yeah, yes, he will invite your friends to the basement to smoke some weed, but then he'll probably want to show you 70s porn. <laughs> yes! <laughs> 70s porn that he has gone in with his, like, horrible video software and put Sherry Moon Zombie into? In, into everything. <laughs> yeah. Pardon me, Mr. Zombie, but are, is every woman in this movie your wife? <laughs> it's just all deep fakes of her in every <laughs> shot. Oh my god. Oh, I wish I could do that. Just take a, take one of his movies and just make every character Shereen Zombie. Oh my god, that would be so good. Or or even uh, just... Just replace everyone's every character's face with Sherry Moon Zombie's ass. Because, you know, he always has to get that in there, too. He is proud of it. I mean, God bless him. He yeah. certainly loves his wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's going to be a monster. What could go wrong? 
Dude, have you seen the trailer to that movie? I have specifically avoided it. I, first of all, never cared for the Munsters or the Adams yeah. family. <laughs> and second of all, it's just like, what is what is he going to do? Like, he already has such a weird propensity for, like, just doing, like, horrible cliche jokes. Like, uh... Like in in the first Halloween where the guy that's taking a shit says, what we're having here is a failure to communicate. I'm like, oh, come on, don't do that. Please don't, but you did. What 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 is your experience of the Munsters trailer? It's probably the the worst, if not the second worst trailer I've ever seen. It's it's fucking atrocious. It's bad. It's it's bad in the, as Ramon says, it's, the, the, the only thing it made him think of was Veronica, the uh, Glenn Danzig movie, which is the worst fucking movie. It's not even fun bad, it's just bad. It is so bad. And I, it's it's funny because he's a very, he's, he's you know, he's a better Glenn Danzig. He's basically a, a upgraded Glenn Danzig. He's, he's a, probably a much kinder, more personable Glenn Danzig. I... Yeah. To be fair, I do like Danzig's music throughout the years. I liked uh, The Misfits. I liked yeah. Sam Hain. Um, and I like his solo stuff. I've come around. Um, but as as goofy and macho as all of it has been, but uh, him as a person, he's, he's insufferable. Yeah. And Zombie is like, his music's terrible. I've always hated his music. <laughs> Even the early White Zombie, which my friends liked, I didn't like. And, uh, uh, but I've always liked his visual style. His, mm-hmm. He's he's a great artist. He's a really good. He draws really well. Yeah, um, and uh, he has great visual sense. And uh, he's I guess he's a good showman. He's a good entertainer. But uh, he's just he's just so inconsistent when it comes to filmmaking. And I mean, God bless him because he clearly just makes whatever the fuck he wants. And that's great. Like keep doing and, it, Rob. Yeah. I mean that that in and of itself is pretty awesome. And Really, nobody makes movies like him. They're just, they're so specifically his own thing, which can work for him and against him. But just goddamn, that trailer is terrible. <laughs> it's it's like the worst part of the 90s with all the colored light bulbs, like bright green and bright red and purple and real cartoony. And uh, But then there's this weird uncanny valley feeling where you're familiar with the monsters and they're fine as they are kind of off in that world where I don't watch the monsters. Yeah. And then, and then all of a sudden here's this new version of this thing. I didn't care about to begin with. And it's like, dude, what, what the fuck is this? Why? It's like, it kind of reminds me of Herman Munster, like Ed Gwynn, but something's just not right. Yeah. And it's just bad. It's like, it, I don't want to see it. Like I don't, like, even Veronica, I saw the trailer, I was like, this is, ter- this is terrible. Oh, yeah. This is fucking, this is so bad, I'm watching it. <laughs> and <laughs> with this one, I was like, I could barely get through the trailer, it was that bad. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. I don't, I don't, I don't need that. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I, I mean, I've always been wrong, I always say this, you know, I'm really bad at predicting what's going to stick, but... My personal impression is that this movie's going to be a total failure. But I, it's very hard to tell. I mean, people fucking love the Adams family, and they love those fucking like remake movies and stuff too. Uh, I don't get it. 
but that's I, I guess you know it it really it moves merch like like I'm sure the monsters are gonna be a real big hit at Hot Topic like there's gonna yeah. be there's gonna yeah. be shirts and 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 bondage pants about it and it's weird because I do root for the guy you know like I hope oh, yeah. it's a success for him you know I I that I mean I you know I wish him all the best but man that movie looks terrible maybe he'll do like other weird remake uh like movie relaunches like like his next after the monsters he'll do like Gomer Pyle USMC the movie but also it's a little bit scary <laughs> It's just so weird because he took something that was cheesy to begin with, like a comedic goo American sixties whatever take on like Frankenstein, like the Universal Monsters or whatever. Let's put him in a goofy sitcom. Okay, that's you know, it was a successful show, it was a good idea, apparently, and people loved it. And he this guy comes along, obviously he was a fan of the show growing up, and so he decides he's gonna make a movie about it, but then he makes it even cheesier than the actual show. Like all the things that didn't age well about the TV show, he just hyper-amplifies those things. So it's like Spider-Baby without all the transgression. Like, anything that made that movie fun is just gone. And all the shitty stuff, like the low production value and the... just It just looks bad. We should stop talking about it. Yeah. I will say, like, I do want... Oh, man, Spider-Baby is, like, a, a very Rob Zombie movie. I never thought about that before. I, I do want Rob Zombie to keep making movies. Glenn Danzig? No, I think if the car- if the camera was taken away from D- Glenn Danzig, that would be okay. <laughs> he, he burned that bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know that uh, Veronica is a portmanteau of violent and erotica? Because Glenn Danzig's such a cool guy. Is that is that seriously what that's supposed to be? Yes. The word erotica he, with a V in front of it? Is a portmanteau of violent and erotica. It's for his comic book that was then adapted into uh uh he adapted it into a movie. It's like somebody removed his skull cap and just took a giant dump inside there and put it back barely, like, haphazardly, like, backwards or whatever, and he somehow managed to function ever since. How mad do you think Glenn Danzig was that whenever they're like, we need a rock star turned movie director to direct a movie called Halloween, we're gonna go with Rob Zombie, probably Dick Glenn Danzig was there, was like, come on! Our big song was called Halloween! Why that guy? Right? <laughs> He had great taste growing up in movies, you know? He was definitely, I mean, he's he's older than me, so he's like a child of the, you know, the 70s TV era when, and, you know, like watching, like, the Sunday horror matinee or whatever where you'd have the goofy host like Elvira or or uh, Vampira or, you know, that, he grew up in that area and he grew up, he grew up in New Jersey, you know, which is already New Jersey in the 70s and <laughs> he was, you know, that's the kind of shit he grew up around and he loved that stuff and he, he came up with this idea to have a punk band that reflected his horror tastes and stuff, which nobody was really doing. I mean, it was a great idea. Yeah. You know, they wrote cool songs. They were catchy. He has a great voice. They're fun, you know, and then somewhere along the way, he just became this insufferable douchebag. (laughs) (sighs) Well, speaking of trailers that make you feel weird and say funny things today, Today, John, we're going to be discussing Alex Garland's 2022 film, 
men. Yay! Yes. <laughs> uh, so let's see. Alex Garland, you might know he he wrote he was the screenwriter for the movie Twenty Eight Days Later and Sunshine. He also wrote the novel that was adapted for the movie The Beach, starring mm-hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio. Don't hold it against him. Yeah. <laughs> he uh also his movie directing credits include Ex Machina and Annihilation. He also directed the TV series Devs. Um and then this movie and then now he's working on a movie called Civil War, which I'm sure won't be weird at all. Didn't he say that's going to be his last movie he directs or something like that? He's I have no idea. Is he is he tired of it? Does he not like it anymore? Is he tired of the three movies he made? I don't know. I mean, I guess he I, that was never his thing. I mean, he's always been a writer. You know, that's I think that was yeah. always his primary focus. So maybe that's what he intends is to get back into writing. But he's so good at making movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This one's this one's good. He's also uh, it's been announced that he will be the screenwriter for the film adaptation. Uh, for the video game Halo. Dear God. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Oh. I, I can see that, I guess. There's some body horror elements there and and a lot about identity. You know, there's like a voice in the guy's head. It's I, I could see it fitting. Wow. It's also annihilation-y. Yeah, I guess so. Jeez. Yeah. I hope he gets paid well. Yeah, yeah, I think I think he's getting paid pretty well. This movie seems like it did not lack for budget. Yeah, yeah, I didn't feel like they were sparing expenses during this film. Alex Garland likes to make movies about identity, how one identifies themselves in relation to society, the boundaries of humanity, and even personhood. I wonder if we'll get any of that in here in this movie titled Men. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> he de- yeah, that's definitely... He's interested in uh, power and uh, control and, uh, you know, the, the the role that power plays in different types of relationships and stuff. And, and we get, of course, maybe some of that here as well. Maybe a little bit. Just a little. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say up front that I fucking love this movie. I love yeah, it. Yeah, this movie is great. It's it's. Damn good. It's way better than I thought it was going to be. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it, it got mixed reviews, which I figured it would. Like, And if you watch it, you'll know why. But, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's fucking killer. Yeah, it, it's definitely not for everyone. Like, no, there, There's no. a, a specific audience for this movie, and I'm glad to be in that audience. But, like, if you're not in that audience, it really doesn't say anything bad about you. Like, this, it's just this movie is... In St. Maud, we talked about elevated horror, and we even referenced this movie in there, and, and people have complaints about it because there is a lot of, like, well, what does that mean? Well, that's kind of vague, and and people are talking about it as, like, a symptom of the commercialization of elevated horror and all kinds of stuff. I think that's kind of shitty, because I feel like this movie stands on its own really well, but, you know, whatever. It's a pretty, sh- I think it's a pretty shallow critique. To me, it kind of just gives me the impression that, that, well, I mean, they're pretty much just coming out and saying they didn't understand it. I mean, there's there's things that are left open, but yeah. there's a lot to understand. I mean, it's it, <laughs> the, the overarching message of the film is pretty clear. It's also, it's also one of those movies that's not really quite as much about, like, 
not really like a casual viewing movie. It's really a, a movie to analyze and pick apart. There's the movie is very forward about the fact that it is using symbolism yeah. in complex ways. Like it doesn't try to hide that. So it's like it's telling you, like, hey, think about this. Like, right. put this in context with another thing. But you know, that's not what everyone wants out of a horror movie. I don't even want that out of a horror movie every time. It's just every once in a while, like, a horror movie like that, like, really catches and, and hooks me, and this this did a great job of that. There's certain things that I am drawn to, or any viewer is drawn to, you know, and when regarding the movies that they like to watch. And, uh, you know, but that doesn't necessarily mean that a movie a movie could have all those things and you still don't like it. And a movie could have other shit that you generally don't like and you still enjoy the movie. I mean, in this case, it's one of those movies that's touching on things that I like. And it's also a film that I enjoy. So for me, it's like a win-win. It's kind of like In the Earth was for me, you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, we're going to go in this direction. Cool, I like this. And it was handled in a way that I enjoyed, so it just made it all the better. Absolutely. John, did you know that men is a portmanteau of me and women? <laughs> Wow, I did. No, I did not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, speaking of all of that, uh, this movie kind of has uh, Alex Garland's very own Sherry Moon Zombie in it because this movie features just a little bit um, Sonoya Mizuni, yeah. who is in every single Alex Garland directed thing. Uh, and God bless her. She's fucking great. She was great in Devs. She's. Uh, I need to watch that. She's a protagonist in in Dead, so she's she's all over that movie. And she's she's great in it. She's really good. Um, I love that yeah. show, so I can't you know I can't recommend it enough. But uh, yeah, she does a great job. It was cool to see that she was in this. I didn't realize that you know because it's just her voice. Yeah, yeah. She's she plays a nine one one operator. So it's like he was like, look, I know you can't, but could you just like get on a microphone and and just just say a few lines for us? Just just say, stay on the line. Help is on the way. And, yeah, and, and we could get we could squeeze you in there, and I'll get you a paycheck. Don't worry. Uh, and then this movie stars Jesse Buckley, who, if you don't know who that is, no one could blame you. But she got her career started on a one of those like television talent shows oh really yeah i didn't know that. she came in second place and, and and it launched a british television and then film career that is apparently going quite well so hey good job she's great yeah she's uh yeah. she's an irish actress so she's been in she's been in a few things that i've seen um she's she was in that movie uh i'm thinking of ending things which uh which was kind of billed as a horror movie it was her and that is his name chessy too the plemons guy uh that oh weird looking red-haired guy it's kind of like the philip seymour hoffman of today <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah he's uh, was he in, he was in like the uh the final season of that um breaking bad uh yeah 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 where he he, he looks like a horrible matt damon yes that's yes. him N nice <laughs> So he's she's in a horror movie with him, sort of a horror movie, and it's it's very surreal. Uh, but it's I don't know if I necessarily liked it. It was definitely worth watching, but I like her. And then uh, she's also in The Lost Daughter with Olivia Coleman, which uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal directed. Uh, that's pretty pretty good. And uh, and then just she's a bunch of other stuff, but she's great in this. I mean, she's really good. 
She's in uh, uh, 10 episodes of the Fargo TV series, which I also haven't seen, but wanted oh, to. Wow, I started the first season, but I didn't get much further. It was good. I just I just didn't follow through on it. That's that's what happened for me with devs. Like I I got to a point where I was like, oh, this is neat, and I oh look, it's uh it's the guy from Parks and Rec. This is gonna be cool. Oh, he's eating kale. Okay, and I think that's about as far as I got into it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, and this movie stars stro- showcases the talents of one Rory Kinnear. Um, Remarkably unrelated to Greg Kinnear. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, you might know him best as multiple characters from the TV series Our Flag Means Death, where he is horrifically mutilated by a blade. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> yeah, he is such a trooper in this movie. Uh, like, he he really goes after all the things. Yeah, he's he's not uh, he's not very reserved in this movie. No. No, he he does a great job. We also have Papa Asiadu playing, oh, I forget his name already. James. Uh, James, yeah. He plays James. He's not in most of the film. He just pops up every once in a while as little memories. Of, does a great a, job. A really good evening to have. Just a fine, fine evening and uh, great performance. Oh, yeah. and don't forget Rory Kinnear was also the uh, pig fucker in Black Mirror. <laughs> That's right. He, he's... Prime Minister Pigfucker in the in the premiere episode of Black Mirror, the one that got us all to think, oh wow, Black Mirror is gonna be the greatest show ever, and then it kind of wasn't. <laughs> I know it really did start with a bang, didn't it? A yeah. literal bang. One really bangy bang. He was also in uh, Penny Dreadful, which I actually enjoyed him in that. Uh, I, I was expecting to hate that show, and I really ended up liking it, so... I ended up blasting through the whole series. It was pretty good. Oh, nice. He was also in the sequel sh- series to that show. Yeah, the, the whatever the second season was. I didn't see that, or the second storyline. I didn't see that one. I've heard it's good yeah. too, though. But is he the Frankenstein in that show? Uh, he is in the first. Yeah, in the first uh, se- series. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. yeah, I could see him doing a good Frankie. He's great. There's just there's something strange about that dude, and he, um, but he's also able to play. You know, like. He he's just one of those guys. He's kind of a chameleon, you know, and he really yeah. showcases that in this, of course. Yeah, he could he could play a, a, a caretaker, a vicar, a little boy, what have you. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe a bartender, even. Maybe a couple blokes at the old bar, at the old pub. A few local blokes. <laughs> The soundtrack was done by a uh, couple guys who have collaborated with Garland quite a bit. Um, it's uh, Ben. Uh, oh God, what's the first guy's name? Anyway, the other guy's name is Jeff Barrow. He's he was in Portishead, and uh, oh, cool. He uh, he's done a lot of soundtrack music with the uh, this other guy, Ben. What's his nards? Um, oh yeah, it's uh, Ben Salisbury. He's known for doing, you know, he's just basically known for doing soundtrack stuff. And, of course, Barrow has worked with him. They they did, uh, I think they worked on Ex Machina and Annihilation. Nice. And, and uh, they're definitely on devs. The soundtrack on devs is great. Um, yeah. He's also, uh, uh, Barrow was also, uh, or is also in the hip-hop group Quakers. I've never heard of that. Oh, good. <laughs> I've, I've never heard of that, but now I, I really want to go listen to whatever that is. 
Yes. They rap about having no electricity. <laughs> Thine self stay pure. <laughs> Put your candles in the air. <laughs> Our new mixtape, Oatmeal. <laughs> Heart healthy rap. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, the soundtrack of this is is pretty intense. It's um, uh, it it lays off sometimes, but it you've really got good background noise. Uh, you can really hear apples hitting the ground. The sound design in this movie is amazing. I mean, I I, I highly recommend watching this movie with headphones because it's it's really really well done. And the sound is a real big part of this movie. I mean, there's. There are scenes that wouldn't be as effective if you didn't hear the wind and all the birds and the bone snapping. Yeah, all the little ambient sounds. There's there's a scene where you can hear traffic in the distance and you can hear a siren way off in the distance. Like so far, it doesn't even matter. It's yeah, yeah, you know, it's just really well done. Yeah, a lot of this movie hinges on the well, not really, but kind of hinges on the fact that she's in a semi-isolated position where she's in a cottage surrounded by woods, but the town is just on the other side of the trees. So, yeah, they they did a really great job on it. And also, like, some of the musical elements. The, also, a strange uh, soundtrack choice as far as the opening and closing song, but, you know, whatevs. It's strange until you really kind of, like, read the lyrics and realize how how they're really a pretty sarcastic or cynical like way of looking at the events in the movie. Oh, and I'm gonna have to pull up those lyrics. The opening song is is sung by uh, oh God, what is her name? Uh, Leslie Duncan. It's called Love Song. And then at the end, it's the same song, but Elton John sings it. So oh, it's a, for real? <laughs> yeah. So it's a woman at the at the beginning and and him at the end. I swear to God, it done. I don't think it's him. It doesn't sound like it. But I read that it was him. I didn't catch any of that <laughs> just a little yeah just a little part of that whole dichotomy i guess maybe maybe we'll have to dramatically read the lyrics at the end of the episode <laughs> oh that would be amazing <laughs> I, I will say about the music like when i started the movie <laughs> i was watching it on my computer and when that song came up it, it was so out of place for me <laughs> that i thought my computer was playing some weird song and i didn't know why <laughs> Yeah, like like one of your other tabs had decided yeah. to play a YouTube video. <laughs> I was like, "What? Okay, what?" After and then I realized, "Oh, okay, she closed. I think she closed her car door and it stopped or something. I don't remember." It's interesting. I wasn't familiar with the song at all, so I was just like, "Oh, okay, we've got like some singer songwriter love song. All right, whatevs." Yeah, very British kind of folky pop song. Well, let's dive into it, John. Balls deep. Uh, the movie opens with uh, Harper, our main character, played by Jessie Buckley. She is a bloody nose, and she is standing in a room, uh, like an apartment at dusk. She's got, you know, the big windows. You can see the the light from the setting sun coming in. And looking out the window, she sees a surprised dude falling down past her window. Super slow-mo. Yeah, super slow-mo. He looks, he does not look like that's what he was expecting to be doing, maybe. And, uh, and then all of a sudden it, that's over and we see, uh, dandelion tufts floating around in a beautiful countryside where, uh, we see Harper is driving around, uh, she's 
taking herself a little holiday out into the country. She is beturtlenecked, and uh, she finds her way to a nice uh, British estate-style Airbnb, I guess. And um, it's 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 very slow and and leisurely and a little jarring, I would say, like based on like that opening sequence where we don't know what's going on. If you watched the tra- uh, the teaser, like the original teaser first, you know that like it seems like this movie has some sort of weird relationship to gravity because you see stuff about like apples just falling out of mm-hmm. a tree perhaps they fall far from a tree we don't know it seems like maybe they don't fall far from a tree <laughs> and of course you see a guy falling past a window um uh but but that doesn't really seem to be playing into here she she makes it to this cottage and uh, a a very toothsome british fellow named jeffrey is there played by rory kinnear he greets her as Mrs. Marlowe. She says, no, my name is Harper, not Mrs. Marlowe. That takes on the whole thing. They start, he tours her around the place. It's it's an old style door system where the opening the door is lifting a latch and they have a single key and it's like a giant piece of pig iron <laughs> key. And there's just the one and you don't really have to worry about it. Uh, he mentions how old the place is, and he's like, it's, you know, it was around at the time of Shakespeare, even older than that, probably. And he's like, goes off into his head about it, which her last name w- was Marlowe, and he's mentioning Shakespeare. I can't imagine what that could be alluding to. She, when she first got there, she went and she picked up one of the, uh, picked one of the apples off of the tree out front and ate it and seemed to have a very good time eating it. She mentioned that to him and he says, oh, no, no, mustn't do that. He calls it scrumping, which I had to look up. Apparently scrumping is fruit theft. So Is it really? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. If you steal fruit, you are scrumping. I thought it was like a euphemism for delicious. I didn't realize. <laughs> nope. I guess maybe scrumptious is because yeah. it's a delicious fruit. Maybe fruit is scrump in England. Oh, yes. A nice, a nice bushel of scrump. Run to the Tesco and get me a bag of scrump. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, oh, he he's showing her around. They're in a big fancy uh, bathroom and he has this awkward moment where he tells her not to flush her lady things because they're on a septic system and they can't handle it. And it's just very long and awkward and uncomfortable. Um, uh, then he says he's going to go and asks again about her husband. And she says that she just hasn't changed her name. And he's like, Oh, good, good job, Jeffrey. You really did it again. And, uh, another awkward pause at the door. And he's like, all right, bye. (laughs) It's really good. At this point in the movie, he's awkward. It's like a little bit icky, but also like, he's a likable enough fellow. Yeah. He seems, he seems like, yeah, he comes off as the likable doofus, but there's obviously something bizarrely, like, tense below the surface there with that interaction. She's uncomfortable. Yeah. She wants to be left alone. That's the whole purpose of being there. He's just awkward in general. And so, you know, he's, but he's also extremely British. Like, that's just taking a good in the That's very right. Like the. <laughs> T's through there, TV over there. 
milk in the fridge, tea in the cabinet, and all the usual places, all right. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, and it it also seems like maybe to a dude, he seems like a pleasant enough fellow, but maybe to a non-dudely person, he seems a little bit more threatening and unpleasant, which, uh... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't, our... uh, don't flush the uh, lady things down the toilet. Yeah. We've got a, got a septic tank situation. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots, of, lots of the little humming to himself bits. Yeah. Uh, very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, we get uh, she talks to her friend Riley, who is uh, a character that almost throughout the movie we only see as a uh, like voice chat person that she talks to and does exposition to to reiterate her situation uh she tells riley that he asked about james riley's like what how would he have possibly asked about james and she's like well it's you know i accidentally signed in under mrs marlowe and all of this stuff and we then flash back to that original scene in the dusky room now harper does not have a bloody nose and James, the fellow from the window earlier, is not falling past a window. Now he's in there with them. They're having a super intense discussion because she has told him that she is divorcing him. And he he's talking about it. Uh, he talks about the fact that he understands, like, she, apparently she said that she's not divorcing him. She's divorcing his behavior over the past few years and and all of this stuff happens and it it boils and spins out of control where now he's talking about the fact that he if she divorces him he's going to commit suicide and then it quickly moves on from there that if she divorces him and he commits suicide it's her fault and that she is killing him with her action of divorcing him and all of this stuff it it gets it gets real intense she's talking about the fact that this kind of behavior is in fact the reason why she has to divorce him and that the threats the fact that he's threatening her with this stuff is you know a big part of that and that it's it's not sane and that he can't do this and oof it uh so it goes from huh weird to whatever kind of cottage tone and then all of a sudden just super intense interpersonal uh manipulative drama and damn does this movie take turns yeah no kidding he's uh yeah he's displaying he's like a textbook of uh all the the horrible things that men do in these kinds of situations where he's you know the, the obviously he's he's largely responsible for this position that she finds herself in where she just she can't she really doesn't feel like she has any other option than to end the relationship. And and then he he displays very quickly the kind of behavior that must have led to this because he's accusatory angry. He screams in a rage, scares her. He, you know, decides that there's clearly this, she's led him to, to kill himself. There's just no other option. I mean, it's just all the like petulant child behavior and the, the guilt trip and the gaslighting and all the bullshit that guys pull and, uh, so yeah, we're off to quite a start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was a, a real surprise. Like the first time watching it, I was just not expecting that scene to be here at all. For 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 two people that have very little interaction throughout the film, it's 
so pivotal and, and they, their interaction is so natural. I mean, it's, it's, it's really like you're, you feel like you walked in on two people arguing and you're just like, I'm just, I'm just going to, you go, I'll be out here. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. I'll leave. I'll, 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 I'll go. I'm going to, I'll just jump out of the balcony. It's do, fine. Do, I mean, do you need me to stay? I don't, I don't want to stay. <laughs> I'll just, I, I'll, I'll be outside. Yeah, uh, I I have to take a huge shit. <laughs> As it turns out, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, yeah, he he does a great job. I mean, it's crazy because he's I mean, the guy's on screen for what ten minutes most, and he, he just oh, really yeah, James, yeah, 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 yeah his yeah. performances, uh, yeah. Anyways, so she. So this after that, she goes outside. She's going to go for a little walk or for a long walk, as it turns out. And uh, she's we see her walking through like just gorgeous British countryside, uh, forests, fields. You know, we see like pathways and and uh, I mean, it's everything is so green, just like explosively green on my screen. It was it was gorgeous. And then with the headphones, you could hear the wind swirling around and her feet walking through the grass. And if, you know, I, hopefully at some point in your lives, listeners, you've had a chance to do something like that because it really makes you remember the feeling of of being outside like that and how nice it feels. So she's going on this walk. And, you know, it seems, seems like she has an almost spiritual experience where she's kind of at the top of this walkway and, and uh, the hill, basically. And it starts to rain. And she's like smiling and looking up and, the music starts getting all, <laughs> then, you know, it just, it's, it seems like she's having like a transcendent bond with the natural world, um, which is probably the intention there. And, uh, so she, on, along the way, she comes across a long, long, dark tunnel and dark as in like jet fucking black, <laughs> yeah. Just with a tiny little light at the end, where the, with the other opening at the at the far end, and it's all drippy, and you can hear the water dripping into puddles, and it's you know muddy and and just your typical disgusting tunnel that seems to pop up all over the fucking place in Europe, and uh, yeah, <laughs> and every horror movie, yeah, 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 yeah. They just they went to the tunnel store and picked up. I'd like one horror tunnel, please. I think the entirely entirety of Jodie Foster's movie uh, Brave took place in this tunnel. <laughs> yes, they shot the entire film in this tunnel. <laughs> yeah. So she she walks to the mouth of the tunnel and she she gives a <laughs> <laughs> to test the uh, echo properties, which apparently are world class. I, the best echo tunnel ever. I've never heard an echo tunnel that that sounds exactly like a digital delay pedal looping. <laughs> it's remarkable yeah. audio quality in that tunnel. Yeah, I believe Reggie Watts was born in this tunnel. <laughs> well, <laughs> the big black like curvature of that's that's representative of his hair. Yeah. <laughs> so it's echo. It just echoes on and on and on, trails off, and then she she starts doing this layering thing. Like she realizes, oh, I can I can almost like well, not almost. She harmonizes with herself with these echoing sounds, and it's it sounds really dumb, and I guess it kind of is, yes. but it actually works. It's got a weird effect, um, yeah. but it is really dumb. And I mean, she 
If you're by yourself and people aren't watching you in a movie, it's the type of thing you would do. Oh, for you're sure. Just like, <laughs> if you discovered it echoed like that, I would probably spend two hours just dicking yeah. around in that tunnel. But and she probably would have too until she realizes that as she's gone, maybe a third of the way in, there's somebody at the end of the tunnel that just becomes clear in silhouette because of the backlit, and it's a person stands up. You can't make out any details. And then they basically just start running at her into the tunnel. <laughs> so she gets the fuck out of there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She GTF right the fuck <laughs> Yes, she does. <laughs> Wisely. And then uh, she takes off. And uh, as she's like, we see her kind of hot, high stepping it through the, through the wilderness to get out of that area. And we see these dandelion seeds kind of floating, like there's one seed floating in front of her face as she comes up to what what would have been another tunnel. It almost made me think it was maybe the same tunnel, but now it's but now it's bricked up. So it's yeah. completely sealed off. Um either way that's We see that she Yeah, go ahead. She missed her uh her path yeah. that she was supposed to go up. Like like we the camera focuses on her walking right past it. That's right. Yeah, it had the little yeah. footholds and stuff. I know because I was like, okay, that's fine. So she she gets so the dandelion seed has you know it. Honestly, I don't know exactly what it means other than it represents some sort of boundary between the natural world and the and maybe her not not specifically urban life, but you know whatever kind of life we have outside of what we perceive as the natural world. So it's like some sort of transition point, I guess. I don't know. Anyways, she sees this. She sees this weird blocked tunnel way. Um, it kind of looks like it would be like a railroad crossing over the top. And I think that's what it used to be, if I remember. But mm -hmm. um, so she, she, she gets there. She's blocked off. So she climbs up this, this embankment, you know, uh, still misses the pathway, I believe. Uh, but she comes across this, farm and it looks like maybe a dilapidated farm or a home or a home farm or a farm home or <laughs> steadfast yeah it's very it's very worn down <laughs> yeah and there, there's a witch finder general living in there and <laughs> yes <laughs> vincent price comes out and he's like ah, you have walked into their own movie and <laughs> some call me tim <laughs> So she's she kind of looks around. It's it's extremely creepy, but really, really gross, rundown. Just you know, which again, if you've ever walked anywhere in, out in the country in Europe, you come across these things about every five minutes. So so fucking awesome. So weird. I, I used to see stuff like that when I lived there. It's just like you go out in the, in the middle of nowhere, and then you come across an abandoned house in the woods. It's like why would somebody? But okay, whatever. So yeah. I definitely want to go like people people are just like, oh, yeah, I found a Viking sword in a lake. It's like, oh, fuck, yes, let's go there. <laughs> when I lived in when I lived in France, I, I remember we went to eat dinner at some friends of my parents and there were other families there. And they so the, all the kids got together and they were playing and there was like a wooded area. There must have been a suburb or something, except I remember it being in the city, but. Anyways, we went out to this wooded area and we were playing and there was this big hole in the ground and they had like a rope swing over the hole. And and we were swinging, swinging back and forth. And then later, that one of the kids was like, that's a bomb crater from World War II. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Jesus. I was like, what? <laughs> it's like, yeah, my dad told me about it. I was like, oh, my God. 
that's Jeez. that's a weird it's a weird place being in front yeah, of Europe. Weird place to play. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, you come across stuff like this. I mean, you know, when you place this old buildings get abandoned and they they lay there for God knows how long until they just kind of fall away. So this place is falling apart. She kind of walks around and she she turns back and looks at the place and what do you know? There's a little naked man like just standing off in the distance again just standing there looking at her and uh, yeah. she she busts out her cell phone camera and <laughs> takes a photo of the building and then gets the hell out of there and I think we see his face at that point, don't we? It's it's a yeah, it's a little bit in the distance, but it's it's Rory Kinnear. It's Rory Kinnear. He's he's all like weird looking. So, anyways, yeah, he's like powdered wig white. Yeah, he's he's doesn't look good. And yeah, so she gets out of there. You know, again, probably not a bad idea. And uh, yeah. then we have another flashback uh, scene where this is obviously post falling past the window because. James is now on the sidewalk. Uh, there's like an iron railing. He's cursplatted himself. His ankle was snapped and bent back in an impossible angle, which was disgusting. Yes. Part of his, it looked like his brain was exposed, which I didn't really understand because of the way he landed. It, it looks like, like... Oh, he hit things his, on the way down. His skull got, like, dented in on multiple parts. Oh, on the way down? Yeah, his his ugh, his arm is like pierced in the in the maybe mid forearm and torn up to about the palm and stuck in you know one of the spikes of like an iron fence or whatever. It's it's horrible. It's it's really graphic. Yeah. And she's standing there looking at him. You know, obviously pretty traumatized. So then we we cut to a shot of her in the in the tub, and uh, she's. She's looking at her phone. She's back in, we're back in the house now, back in the country. And she's looking at her phone and she kind of, it's weird because she kind of like laughs, but then she zooms in and sees the naked guy and gets disturbed again. Like, mm -hmm. but you knew it was, okay, whatever. I didn't understand that. Well, that whole thing, like, like once she climbed out of that ditch area and found the, the ruined farm, she was like happy again. She was like, Oh, my, my issue is over. But didn't she see uh, him part standing there or did she not? She saw, she, she pulled out her phone before she saw him. Oh. So like, she was like, Oh, what a lovely little dilapidated cottage. <laughs> I think I'll take a snap. And so she's like taking a photo and then she like notices him and she's like, Oh fuck. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's like this this whole like uh, uh, up and up and down emotional journey for her. Unfortunately, yes, it, yes, it is. Oh fuck! <laughs> oh fucking hell! It's so bloody brilliant. <laughs> what in tarnation? Except she's Irish, but uh, yeah. <laughs> insert Irish accent here. Tarnation. <laughs> Mother of Jefferson Davis. <laughs> Holy nips upon Tim's. <laughs> oh my God. What is wrong with me? Um, okay. So anyways, uh, she, <laughs> so she sees a picture of the naked man and then we cut to her. She's playing piano, which is kind of curious because she told Jeffrey that she didn't play piano. And it was obvious that she did when she said it. It was just kind of like, she plays piano. 
Yeah, I think it was one of those things where it was like, if I tell him that I play piano, he's going to wow. want me to play piano yeah. for him, and it's going to be real creepy. That's true. So she sits down and goes, yeah. boom, boom, and then busts out like a beautiful Chopin. <laughs> it's like a Chopin thing. I forget what it was. but um, and, and so then we hear it as the music kind of plays over. We see more scenery shots, and, uh, you know, it's it's uh, we see pictures of, like, trees branching like the area where a tree branches off covered in moss it looks like a person's crotch maybe or like <laughs> trees that are like all weird like vaguely human-like positions which i thought was pretty cool uh, yeah because i didn't even catch that you know until maybe the second or third go through um and then she she's making a vi- just cuts to she's making a business call she's sitting at the table in the whatever room and uh as she's talking on the phone uh, the naked guy is just like strolling by in the background, like a, it's so it's so disturbing. And she's just chatting away, and you know the camera will change angles, and you'll see him walk past the window, and then it changes an angle again, and he walks to he's like basically maybe fifty feet behind her outside the window, and he's just standing there looking at her. And uh, yeah, other times he's just like pressing his dick up against the glass. <laughs> So she she gets uh, uh she talks to she gets on the phone with Riley and she's giving her uh, like the the video like through her phone she's giving her a tour of the house. This is the conservatory. Yeah. Oh look at the lovely patina on the floor. This is a baby grand piano. <laughs> it's a really nice place. It is. It's a beautiful house, and she's giving her the tour. Everything's great, and then uh, uh, while she's on the business call. Uh, Nakey man comes back. No, no, no. Let's see what happens. Yeah, he comes back and no, what is it? She gets off. Oh, that's right. She's showing the round. That's right. She's showing her friend around. And as she turns in one area, she looks out the window and she sees the guy outside. So yeah. she says, I've got to, I'll call you back, which I would be like, call the police right now. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to call you back. There's a naked lunatic outside. Yeah. So whatever. So she goes, Throw into into like the entryway where the door is, and the door is cracked open. So it's like yeah. dun dun. It's very intense. And then we see kind of like shadow. Like he's obviously right at the door. So she runs up, slams the door, and he sticks his hand through the mail slot at that point, doesn't he? Just briefly. I think so. Yeah. Like like yeah. She sees she sees hit the shadow of him. Oh, and yeah. She gets the door closed. I think she's already called the police. Like she's on the line with the police. She calls nine nine nine. Yeah, nine nine nine. Oh, silly British people. She talks to <laughs> Toshiro Mifuni or whatever her name is. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I could be wrong on the name, but I'm just saying. Yeah, it's a Toshiro Mifuni adjacent. Yeah. So, yeah. She, so she's talking to the the, the dispatch person, and uh, <laughs> so his his hands through the thing. It's freaky, whatever. And then uh, then we cut back to her having. Uh, an argument with James. She he comes in. She's on her cell phone. She's texting somebody. He wants you know. He takes the phone, looks at it. Yeah, and then she's all unlock it. Yeah, they get into an argument over what it says, and you know, she's telling someone she's afraid of him, and he's like, afraid of me. Why? What the fuck's wrong? Like, yeah, whatever could she be afraid of, James? Um, then he wants her to unlock her phone. She won't do it, so he punches her in the face. Just hauls yeah. off and, and slugs her right in the face, knocks her down, um, and uh, it's nasty. And uh, she forces him out. She basically 
She gets pissed. Now he's, you know, I'm sorry. It was an accident. I slipped and my fist fell out or whatever. Like, yeah. And she, she get the fuck out. So she kicks him out, says she never wants to see him again. or I will never see you again or whatever. And yeah. so we're, we're, we're kind of approaching, like, we're starting to kind of get an idea for where this is heading. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. She locks him out. Um, Back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. The police have shown up. They uh, arrest the nude apple guy. Uh, who I think I think when she sees him out the window, he's like under the apple tree and like doing this whole like Adam scene where he's like picking it uh, uh, apple off the tree while his dong is just just hanging out, just flippity flopping. Um, yeah, just just going going full foreskin on here. Um, let's see, uh, the, so they arrest him, and we see him, he's, like, pinned to the ground while they're, uh, handcuffing him, and we see now that, whereas before he was just kind of, like, a pure powder white, now he's covered with cuts, all of these little cuts all over his body. His skin's all pitted and weird looking, Uh, like, he's just weird looking, dude. Yeah, he's got cuts and, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's he's all like zigzagged with cuts and yeah, like dirty and yeah. Now, whereas before he looked like some sort of powdery ghost, now he looks like a guy that's been like sleeping naked in the outdoors for centuries. Um and uh uh the police woman, the Bobette, I guess you might say, is there and she's very reassuring saying all of this stuff that it looks like he's been sleeping rough and you know, well He's stinky. She's not looking forward to having him in the car with her, uh, but she's glad that she was there. And she, she's the nicest person to physically encounter her so far. It's, it's, it's good. And, and Riley feels better. Or not Riley. Uh, Harper feels better. She calls Riley and tells her all about it. Har- uh, Riley is like, oh, well, I should obviously come out there and be with you at your very, very nice place <laughs> and, and not just stay here where everything <laughs> sucks. She's like, no, 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 no. Stay there. I, I want to be alone. So part of her being alone is she now goes on a nice little journey to the the local uh, ancient cathedral church built out of old stones there's um she she sits in the pew and does herself a little scream pray with lots of yelling and shouting we sh- we see a a priest looming in the shadows and and just like pausing as she screams and then just going back further into the shadows and disappearing and at this point we see that the church's podium on the front of it facing towards the pews is a uh, uh, icon of the green man who is a uh kind of a universal deity like the green man shows up in iconography throughout the world throughout history if you've seen uh anything that looks like a face that has leaves growing out of it that's the green man he's all over the place everywhere uh historians and archaeologists don't have any sort of agreement about what he means because he's just so he's he's everywhere like the like creation mythology and like flood mythology he just shows up anywhere that people have recorded history of non monotheist beliefs yeah they, he's associated with 
You know, the obvious things that uh, that a- any figure with covered in greenery that looks like it's living would obviously be associated with, like, rebirth and the, the typical kinds of things that an agricultural system and, and very, you know, myth-oriented society would, would uh, attribute to some sort of a god-type creature. Yeah, it's fucking yeah. awesome. I love, I love this facet of the movie that he keeps, like, hammering on this point. And then, uh, hidden from... Harper, on the opposite side, facing the cross and where the priest would be, right at about, you know, crotch level, is uh, a Sheila Nagig figure, which is uh, another one where, like, its origin is mysterious and no one knows, but it's very similar to lots of things throughout mm-hmm. history and all cultures, and it is a a female fertility-looking uh, icon where her legs are spread and she's just like holding her labia stretched open, maybe giving birth or maybe just just gaping with acceptance. Yeah, it's like uh, like a, just exhibiting a, a grotesque, as I read somewhere, a mockery of female fertility, uh, yeah. which which is shown in contrast to, in this case, to the green man, which is kind of being represented in the film as a male interpret, like a a masculine take on the idea of fertility, which is a bastardization of of how we think of creation and fertility. These are things that are generally associated with with women. And so whatever the hell's going on in this village has, is like flipped it and is using these images kind of in the reverse way, you know, like the, the, this, this exaggeration of the female form is, is me- almost meant to be like a mockery. You know, it's even hidden from like the, the, the general view of the church, you know, that the, you're just presented with this, this male figure, which is now the represented representing fertility and rebirth and, you know, things that generally are not considered masculine traits. Right. Yeah. Uh, but then also it's like literally on the flip side of the podium from the male uh, yeah. fertility thing. Like it's it's really cool. There is a lot of good symbolic meat to chew into there. Uh, one of the things that I liked is apparently the a lot of the existing examples of the Sheila Nagig is uh, like from pre-Roman times, like in the in the stones, and then has just been reused mm-hmm. in the construction of other ones. So like there are even some where it's like on its side because they didn't care that it was there. They just needed a, a piece of rock to build a wall. It's like, fuck yeah, that's awesome. They're just all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're just like <laughs> hiding in plain sight. Like, oh, look, there's a big old gapy, grotesque vagina thing. Nice. I'm going to need a brick. Oh, I'm glad that's good enough. Yeah, that goes. That's <laughs> fucking fucking cool. I love this stuff. Um, let's see. Uh, we we flash back to just after Harper was punched by James. Um, uh, uh, that's happening like after a, as she's sitting in the pews. It's it's you know flashing between her remembering all of the stuff um, and. And her back at the pews and doing all of the screaming. I don't remember if it does it show the the then fall at this point. Is that whenever it shows him falling past the window again? I don't think so. I think I might have jumped the gun, and I think this is where she you, we see this is where 
we see her post punch. Like it, that, it, at this scene, she comes in, she's laying on the ground and mm-hmm. she gets up and yells at him and kicks him out. That's where she kicks him out of the apartment. Oh, okay. I guess that, ma- yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. The fall comes later. Um, and, um, she ends up after, after having her, her little come to Jesus moment inside the church, she goes outside and she's just walking around. It's a lovely churchyard. It's a really good place for a stroll. But then at this little isolated corner, she sees a, her, a little boy wearing like a Marilyn Monroe mask or something. And uh, he talks to her and takes it off. And, and there underneath the mask is just a horrible little CGI Rory Kinnear face <laughs> on a little like 12 year old boy body and ooh is it bad <laughs> it's so disturbing because they it doesn't even look like a child's face it's just his face on a child yeah yeah it's just they scaled his face down to fit on a child head um it doesn't look real but it is unpleasant which I th- kind of think is the point yeah I think um, so I, I don't I don't think that we're necessarily supposed to find it believable but um you know it, it's whatever um and he wants to play hide and seek with her and she does not want to play hide and seek so she's like maybe later and then he gets a little bit cussy at this point the the looming shadow vicar from earlier <laughs> pops around and and it's just more Rory Kinnear and he has has long, graceful uh, salt and pepper hair, and he's wearing the like full length uh, priestly robes, and uh, he he's like, no, little boy. She said she didn't want to, maybe later, and and uh, I think he calls her a stupid bitch. The little boy does, and then he tells the vicar that he can go fuck himself, and then the vicar's like, well, you first. <laughs> it's like, oh god. Um, and so then he, after the little boy leaves, the vicar gets Harper to sit down with him and talk about things. He he talks about the fact that he saw her while she was in the, like, shouting and stuff in the pews and should have approached her then, but didn't. And so he's doing it now. And she talks about all the stuff with James and it it seems like it's going well, and he even, like, touches her knee, and he's like, you need to be seen, and all of these feelings of of being seen and guilt and stuff are normal. Then, at a certain point, like, it goes from being really good and exploring her experience and and her uncertainty, but in a way that's accepting to all of a sudden where now he's saying that it really was her fault and she really, you know, must be experiencing all of these negative emotions because she's realizing that it is her fault that James killed himself and that if she had done something different, he would still be alive. At which point she tells him he can, you know, go fuck off and leaves. Yeah, he gives her that line, remember? You must wonder why you drove him to it. Yes, that's it. It's like, oh, fuck, dude. He just, like, goes from, like, such a cool spiritual advisor to, like, the most horrible, horrible man. Like, he lays his hand on her, like, he's got his hand on her knee, which is already just creepy anyway. And, you know, he's he's talking to her 
and everything seems okay. And then he, he says, you know, well, and you probably feel a bit of guilt yourself or whatever. And she kind of is like, yeah, you know, I, I guess I do or whatever. And then, then he like bleeds it into this whole other direction. And it's just like, oh, wow. Okay. What a douchebag. <laughs> the worst. It's just like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and he sits there, pulls out a chapstick. <laughs> he's just like just gently puts the chapstick and then sets his hand on the bench <laughs> where she was sitting like on her warm spot yeah. and his his finger just casually is like between two of the slats on the bench just kind of fingering the bench I was like oh my god <laughs> yeah Ugh, it's bad he's his his like pointer fingernail is even like a little longer than the rest of them and he's just just touching the warmth of where her butt was while he's like mwah, mwah, his lips together to get like the chapstick thoroughly applied. <laughs> it's so disgusting. Yeah. And his eyes are unnaturally black. Like there's no you can't see his it's just it's just like the pupils are just jet black. Like a little too black for normal pupils. But uh yeah, it's oh, it's so uh good. yeah, it's pretty uh that's pretty heavy shit. <laughs> yeah. He he would. This is a great, uh, uh, you know, like forty years ago. This would have been a great Vincent Price character. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Oh man, it's good stuff. Uh, that that yeah, it's so uncomfortable. I, I didn't know what the deal was with the Marilyn. What did you think about the? I just Marilyn Monroe mask. Uh, I think it's I th I think it is representative of this like like gender difference and like that whole fertility thing where it's trying to like flip the fertility around and it's the little boy who's wearing a Marilyn Monroe mask but then like wanting to be like a icky boy towards a woman type thing. It's it's yeah. She's it's, yeah. She's like a she's like a symbol of female sexuality, particularly you know men portray her as. Like, she's not even a real person. She's just an object. So I yep. guess, yeah, and wearing the mask would make sense for that little shit. Yeah. Horrible <laughs> little Samuel. Little monster. Oh, <laughs> uh, Samuel. He's a, he's a troubled lad. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, thanks. Worry. Thanks, Vicar, understatement. Oh, yeah, and one of the things that Vicar, he says, uh, well, you know, sometimes men hit women. Oh, my God, yes. Uh, yeah, that was that was part of the you must have you you drove him to it thing is that you know like she didn't give him an opportunity to apologize after hitting her and he was that was part of his you know like well you know just it it's a thing that happens he even says it's not a capital offense it's like holy shit dude I love her this is I think that's the first instance where she. She gives her trademark response to so many of the crazy things that happen to her. She goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck did you just say? Are you kidding me? And she's like, fuck off, and just leaves. <laughs> oh my god, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we've left that scene. We, we basically see a little single dandelion seed, or whatever you call them, floating down into a disgusting, empty eye socket of a dead deer. Yeah. It just floats down in there, and then we get this weird, like, collection of weird shots where we see, like, the Sheila Nagan, the green man, and there's chanting and different colors projected on these images, and, you know, all this kind of, like, hallucinogenic sort of stuff. Uh, kind of brief, and it doesn't last, fortunately, doesn't last too long. 
And then and it's got her uh it's got her oh, oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, playing over it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Echoing through and then uh then we see it back the dandelion comes back out through the eye hole and now that the head is like in an advanced state of decomposition. And yep. as the camera pulls all the way up, we see this rotting deer carcass, which is absolutely disgusting. And uh, yeah. so it's, it's just pulling up. I guess it's like the dandelion view vision or something. <laughs> I thought that was really cool. And uh, so then we see the naked dude. He's like, I think he's like in some sort of pit or something. It, it seemed like he was in a hole in the ground, but it had like cement walls. or something. I didn't know what was going on. It was in some sort of semi-natural, semi-artificial chamber. Yeah. And he's just having himself a good little time. Just just making slits and filling them with leaves and just just having a little party. He's, Man, this movie loves slits. <laughs> yes, it does. He's got a he's got a cut like a, a horizontal line cut in his forehead, and he's shoving a, a piece of like it's a leaf, but it's it looks like a uh, like a holly leaf or something, whatever. Like you see mm-hmm. on the Green Man, basically. And uh, I could. I, uh, why would you draw that conclusion? <laughs> just, you know, I'm just saying. That was that was one of those moments where I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut to the pub, and uh, Jeffrey's in the pub, being being Jeffrey. <laughs> He's having trouble with a crossword puzzle. That's right. <laughs> Oh, oh, P, it's got a P and then an R and then... Oh, come on, Jeffrey. <laughs> What's a five-letter r- word for rubbish? Hello, come on, Jeffrey. Oh, pomegranate. There we are. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Uh, and we see we see the other people. It, the place is just full of Rory's. There's, like, yeah. the yellow mohawk mullet Maury. I mean, uh, <laughs> the mohawk mullet Rory. And then guy across from him, some other douchey British Rory, and then the bartender is the bearded wizened bartender Rory. And, uh... uh, Righto. So weird. So Harper comes into this scene and, uh... He buys her, Jeffrey buys her a drink, which she doesn't really want him to do. (laughs) So, and then, uh... then Your money's no good here. Yeah. Then this cop, this cop comes in, which is, like, Pretty much just plain Rory, just yeah. just kind of not not a lot of makeup. Rory, just just Rory as a cop, as a Bobby, and uh, <laughs> he comes in. They have a little chit chat, and they're talking about the Nakey Man, and he lets her know that the uh, they let him go because they didn't really have anything to hold him on, and uh, or to hold on to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> God. <laughs> So she's like, "What? You let him go?" And he's like, "That's fine. He's perfectly harmless." Like, no, he's not fucking perfectly whatever. So she's pissed off, and she storms out. On her way out, she goes, "Wankers!" (laughs) (laughs) It's so great. uh, So on her way home, it's dark. She's walking past the cemetery. It's you know, creepy kind of creepy ambience. And then she hears this scream, which we're associating with the the naked. The naked green man. This horrific yeah, like, like, shriek. Yeah, somewhere between like a weird bird call and a, a monkey th- dog yeah. and <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and so she takes off running back to the house, which, you know, that's probably a good call. And uh <laughs> she gets back to the house. She's telling Riley 
all about the crazy shit that, that happened. And in the meantime, Riley says something about when I come there, I'm going to come there. And when I come there, I'm going to, if, if anybody gives you any more shit, I'm going to take that axe and fuck them up or whatever. And she's like, what axe? And she's like, the one behind you. And so yeah. we see there's an axe in like the hearth behind Riley. Cause that's where I keep my axe. Um, yeah, it's it's right next to a pile of split wood. Yeah, and split wood in my living room. <laughs> yeah, and it totally uh, is important to any other part of the movie moving forward. Well, actually, it is. <laughs> it is? Yeah, it's, it's, it's important oh, okay. to the very end. Okay. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> hmm, interesting. I know, I, I, I missed it, and then I caught it again later. But um, So anyways, like on a, another viewing. So she's talking to Riley. She sees Riley sees the axe because I was like, "Why is she bringing?" It? And then I realized later, "Oh, okay, I got it now." So yeah, she says, "I'm going to use it on the that guy or whatever." Um, she's on her way. Then the phone cuts out. It does this weird distortion thing that it had done earlier when she was talking to Riley, where it's like the like demon face yeah. for just like a fraction of a second kind of thing. Yeah, a, a distortion thing that your phone never actually does. It's like like throwback uh tv distortion yeah, yeah. type thing yeah but yeah, yeah that, well, we'll let it slide it didn't really it was, it was like, fine it was out of really out of place i thought it didn't really make like it didn't even make it interpretive sense like oh this must be i don't know what this is at all yeah what is what is it it, it got a point across yeah it was creepy but <laughs> yeah it didn't have anything to do with anything really so whatever so then she yeah. gets her friend tech, Riley texts her because the, the phone disconnects and Riley says, uh, just, just, what does she say? Just text me the directions or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then she says, okay, yeah, I'll send you over a map or whatever. And then she gets that text back. I already know where it is. <laughs> and then the next text, you stupid bitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With the letter U, you know. Yeah. Don't want to be too mean. Text message. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Keep it short. Uh- <laughs> I do like I like that because it's like such a throwback to like classic slasher. Like, oh, okay, this is good. I like that. He's already in the house, kind of thing. I like it. it had to be Samuel because he did the letter U. You stupid bitch. Oh, you're right. I didn't think about it. It probably was Samuel because he's the one who calls her a stupid bitch earlier, right? Yeah. No one else does. So well. Yeah. yeah. So the lights. Yeah. The lights. This is when the lights start flashing. This is where we enter. Into the final act, I guess you could say, and and you better strap yourself in, folks. But uh, <laughs> so lights start flashing at the house. Uh, she sees the cop Bobby outside, just standing there, much in the same way that the Nakey man was just standing there. So she goes out there and she says, "Well, what are you doing?" <laughs> and he just stands there and looks at her, and you know she's trying to figure out what the fuck he's doing there. And then the lights flash out. And then back on again, and he's gone. You know, that's fine. And then all the apples fall off the tree in what is shown as slow-mo to us. I don't know if she's seeing it in slow-mo, but it's a very weird effect. It just looks kind of weird, all the apples falling off the tree. And then out of nowhere, the fucking pub guy, which I think it was the, not the blonde-haired one, but one of them, it doesn't matter. He, he's yeah, just one of the blows. You hear you hear running footsteps, and she looks, and this motherfucker is like running directly at her, and she gets in the house at the last second and slams the door in his face. It's fucking intense because it's just like okay, she's she's now 
completely under siege by something that I didn't know what it was. <laughs> I yeah. wasn't sure where it was going. I mean, all the, you know, all the men are toxic masculinity business is pretty overt. It's not hard to miss. I mean, a lot of the symbolism is pretty straightforward, but how is he going to portray it? And if you've read any of the reviews, you know that the movie, the end of this movie is something that people are talking about. So it's like, yeah, this is, it's going somewhere, but I don't know where it's going. And it was pretty tense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, and you mentioned it, like, is she seeing the apples falling in slow motion or is it just a normal thing? A big, I would say an intentional thing with this movie, but also kind of a problem with this movie is a lack of clarity about what parts of this are her experience or not. You know, like how much of this is our experience as the viewer and how much of it is actually her experiencing these things. It's, it's, it's unclear. I think it is intentional, but it is troubling to contend with. I agree. It, it's, it's weird because it's this is one of those stories that requires of you. In other words, like you, you you're part of what's happening in a way, you know. And some movies do that on purpose, like Funny Games, which we should cover the original because that's fucking yes. great film. And uh, <laughs> and you know, talking you know really breaks the fourth wall, but it it breaks the fourth wall by implicating you in the role of observing violence in film and what does that mean and what does that say about us and all that kind of stuff. This movie is, it's different, but it, it does kind of bring the viewer in, in that it's almost like the story doesn't happen unless there's someone there to see it because it, it, it operates Ooh. like a fable, you know? I mean, it's, there's things that happen that are just impossible. Basically the whole movie is impossible. Um, I mean, it follows kind of logically in a way, but it's, so unrealistic that and so unlike anything that anybody ever has experienced that you have to imagine like okay am i is it being presented as as like an allegory or like the whole thing because it doesn't give me personally that is she just imagining it vibe because there's no, no. there's no flip side to the imagining it there's no like straight take on what what she's seeing. I guess there is. Like all the different male characters aren't really the same character. But then when the end happens, it's like no, okay, yeah, no, that yeah, is wow, this is bad shit. So I mean, it's yeah. it's got to be some sort of an allegory or some sort of a fable. So if you're thinking of it in those terms, it's like he's telling a story, obviously about men, but he's he's telling a story about all these different things tied together to you, the viewer. Like, so you're part of the, I don't know, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it is, even your your final conclusion there, I don't know, you know what I mean? That is very, like, the same place that I landed on this, is like, I don't have a full idea of what I need to say, but I I know it's there, I just don't know all of its shape, which, you know, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it was intentional, like you had said, I, I, I agree, I think it was intentional. You know, I mean, that is a, you know, you've also said this before in one of the previous episodes that it's a cheap way to cover incompetence as a director. Um, But I don't think that's what's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's an incompetent vagary. I think it is very purposeful. I think he's getting at something. I don't know if it's 
I think there there I think there's a difference between incompetent and unsuccessful and I think that this movie is mostly successful but I don't think it is necessarily all the way successful in yeah. in getting those things across yeah the way that he wanted to yeah whenever you're whenever you're dealing in vagaries you know and, and you're trying to tell a story you you're you're forcing the the person who's reading the story or watching the movie or whatever to have their own interpretation. That's that's the intent, but you're also opening the door for misinterpretation and, you know, allowing, you know, for people to, to really get off track, you know, and if you, if you, if you have, it's almost like you're, you're trusting your audience, which no creative person Don't should ever that. trust their fucking audience. That's <laughs> Especially not Alex Garland, who seems like a pretty cynical dude. I mean, you know, yeah, his, he's pretty misanthropic as far as I can tell. But he he gleefully uh, tells stories about it, and he's a writer first, so he understands the mechanics of storytelling. And the you know, if I if I don't include this, this is the effect it's going to have on a reader because he spent his entire fucking business career think, thinking of these kinds of things. So you would imagine that he probably understands how to tell a story. So I'll give him credit for. <laughs> yeah. Not being too stupid to come up with an idea that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I I love the fact that he's he's going after these he's telling these stories that aren't just following the same story beats as everything else. You know, he's he's experimenting and he's he's telling stories in new perspectives, and and it's it's really good. Even even this movie, and even in the things that aren't maybe 100% successful. He's he's doing very interesting things and he's discussing big topics but he's not trying to make like one giant uh uh thesis that covers the whole thing. He's like he's pinpointing these little aspects of a much larger topic and illuminating these little like small areas of it. And and that's great. But uh, it is at times frustrating. Yeah, it is. I mean, we, you know, we've think about some of the movies we've covered. I mean, the, uh, we've got what? How many episodes out right now? Thirty three, I think. Yeah. So we've we've got thirty three episodes out. That's you know thirty three different movies. Some of them are you know have are decades old, and the storytelling is primitive at best. Even ones that have some very fairly serious subject matter. Not like. You don't have to be literary or heady or elevated or any of those things to to get serious points across, as as anyone who watches horror movies knows. You know, a pretty schlocky movie can have some interesting ideas in it. Um, but in this case, he, he is all of those other things. But um, but it works, you know. I mean, it, it, it is effective, but I can understand where, I guess, the critique may be from... It, it's not for a mass audience for a number of reasons. Um but one of the reasons is maybe it's maybe some people see it as a little twee, like it's just a little, it's a little, yeah. it's a little maybe just like you know, it's like a little artsy, you know. But it, it, for me, it's it works, so I'm okay with it. But I can, I, I don't think I would necessarily want to argue too vehemently against somebody who saw it that way. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it is definitely a college professor yeah. recommendation not as much your buddy recommendation yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that's for sure yeah 
Um, and, and like you said, yeah, this is this is moving into the final act. So we've got all of these like strange things are now ha- happening to where she is. She is uh, besieged at her at her Airbnb, basically. Uh, and at this point, you know, she's locked herself in. And now things are coming at the windows. The the floodlights that illuminate the lawn are like flickering and stuff. And then something crashes through the window and she's got a knife and she's mad. And then someone's trying to get in through the front door. And then they do get in through the front door, but it's okay. It's just Jeffrey. And so he says that he heard screaming and and then the movie like calms back down again. It, it mellows out and she's, you know, like telling him what she experienced and He's like, oh, right. And he gets all like puffy chested and he goes into the kitchen where the window broke. But it turned out that it was just a random crow that that came in through the window. So he, he he's like picks it up and he's cooing at it. Oh, poor girl. And and uh, tells her not to look and then cracks its neck to put it out of its misery. And is talking about that, not taking her complaint seriously, saying about these things and. And then finally it like gets through, like she gets her point across that, you know, there were people trying to get in. And then he goes on this weird little thing. You have all the qualities of a failed military man. And he like says that like while making strong eye contact with her. And she's like, again, what? (laughs) (laughs) And then he's like, that's what my father used to tell to me. <laughs> and, and so he's he is then going to go be brave outside of the house as if to prove his father wrong. He's the, he's the yeah, crazy. he's the neutered inadequate male. There's all these different, yeah. you know, all these different, uh, uh, what's the word? The Jung, uh, uh, archetypes. Jungian? Jungian archetypes. Yep. So so he's going to go outside and be brave and masculine as if to prove his father wrong, even though his father is probably <laughs> long dead and it, And he was probably was probably right. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> and so now he's projecting his own uh historical psychological issues onto her very real and present issue. So he goes outside and says puffy, fluffery things about, Oh, no, if you aren't, I'll take exception to you. <laughs> and uh, then, of course, the lights flicker again. And now Joffrey, Jeffrey, sorry, not Joffrey, Jeffrey has been, uh, is now replaced with uh, nude, the nude guy again. Um, and he is now more fully uh full of leaves he's got he's cut all kinds of slits into his body and there are just leaves shoved in everything there are like thorns sticking out of his shoulders and arms and he has a handful of dandelion tufty pods and he opens his hand up and he <sighs> blows them into uh harper's face um and then there, it's this kind of like whenever it went into the deer corpse earlier, we get a another rehashing of the imagery and the the Sheila Nagig and the green man with like the the light going over it like a like a sun mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. over the earth and causing the shadows and more. <laughs> and I think this is where. Um, it shows a scene of her underwater and she's like screaming horribly, yes. like huge mouthed and, and there aren't even bubbles coming out. And she's just like staring at the camera through this like kind of amber colored water that she's underneath. It's pretty intense. 
Yeah, yeah. They're like, all right, yeah, th- we'll do this one. It'll be good for the trailer. <laughs> um, and um, uh, at, at this point, like, she, she comes to from that and goes back inside. She's got the knife, and this is where uh, the the... Someone's trying to get in again, probably this green man character, and he sticks his arm in through the mail hole, and she shoves the knife through his forearm right between those two good bones, and, like, not just in, but all the way through, so now, like, the the mail slit is... The is horizontal and the blade is going in vertical and it it's fully crossed it so he he like pulls his arm and it won't you know go out because the the blade is stuck through it and and the the sharp edge is facing inward toward her so of course then what happens is the the slow pulling of the arm through the mail slot and in order to achieve this the blade has to just keep cutting forward through the forearm through all of the wrist and all of the bones and then out between the middle and ring fingers until finally the hand is all the way through the the knife clatters to the floor and the bifurcated arm is now loose and somewhere outside of the house Fuck. It's it's a genius idea. It's fucking it's so demented and perfect. Um I don't know what the fuck it means, but it is amazing. I mean, it, it's just a great yeah. tie-in obviously to James's injury, but it's just like I is it like a stigmata thing? Like what the fuck is that? Um yeah. it's, but also what is the deal with the dandelion seeds? Are they like spores of some sort? Is she being uh intoxicated with the natural world or something because she's in, she's inhaling that not really them but she's inhaling them they're hazing around her and she gets kind of like all kind of weird and then she goes into the house she's still kind of in a daze and what snaps her out of it is green man sticks his hand through and he's his disgusting like filthy hand with the claws on it is like reaching out and she's still in so much of a daze that she takes his hand and then he starts. Yeah, that's right. She like reaches. Yeah, and then he starts pulling on it, and that's when she snaps out of it and just kachunk with the knife, you know. But it was yeah. like I, she was in. She was yeah. She was in some sort of a trance, you know, from the dandelion things. I didn't. It means something, but I'm not sure what. Like a hallucinogenic state, I think. I. I I feel like what it's representing is the the self-replicating nature of the horrible parts of male culture. Like, toxic masculinity isn't saying that being male is toxic. It's talking about the specific aspects of culture that males impart onto the other males like like it's it's a thing that fathers hand down to children it's a thing that 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 children enforce in one another you know like i i think that's what it's supposed to represent and it's supposed to represent the fact that it is a a replicating cycle where where men keep reproducing these horrible behaviors amongst themselves and that the one of the, at least one of the primary uh, um, 
victims of that is women and that it's literally something that they can't get away from and that it is something that is pervasive but also it's like something that you have to almost try to ignore and just incorporate into your daily life like all of these horrible men like she's not encountering all of these horrible men and immediately assuming that they are going to be horrible and toxic she's giving all of them the benefit of the doubt and they're each horribly toxic towards her in unique ways and it's you know i think that's what's going yeah. on but i don't know for sure <laughs> <certain>. oh yeah <laughs> same i mean it it uh it, it's like the yeah, it's, it's, it reminds me like of times where i've thought about you know where i've gotten into arguments with with women I was dating or, you know, married to or whatever, where, yeah, you know, whatever. where, uh, I, I, I'm being accused of or being lumped in with all the horrible things that men have done to them, which is an endless list. And, mm -hmm. and something I do that might be less than wonderful, maybe, you know, not as horrible <laughs> as, you know, some of the stuff that men are capable of, but still, you know, Things that can be attributed to me being male, and it's like my argument is always, you know, look, I'm, if I'm being a shit, it's because I'm being a shit. It's not because I'm necessarily because I'm a man. But then, then I think about it afterwards when I'm done being defensive, and it's like, mm -hmm. well, how much of that is acculturation? Like how how much of that? Because it's literally everywhere. You know, I mean, I, I guarantee you, when I go back to work tomorrow. You know, some dude is going to say something really fucking stupid just because he's a dude, and that's just something that's expected of men. So it's like, well, I'm basically doing the same thing that these women are doing to me. Like, I'm attributing this this cultural trait that's just been handed down like some horrible fucking disease, you know? And then women are... They play this bizarre role in that, in, in that... None of this works unless you have the woman there to be the victim of this idiocy. And that's that's what this movie's all about. And each one of these characters that, that Rory plays, at least the, the primary ones, are different facets of that kind of stupid masculinity. And I read this one article that was really good that talks about their take on it is that each character is a is an expression, like a manifestation of one of the differing negative masculine qualities of James. So there's the petulant child who wants to blame her for everything and, or, you know, once he just gets argumentative and angry and that's his way of dealing with it. There's the vicar who is the one who's, you know, trying to like place guilt on her. There's these different characters that have these different, I don't know if I necessarily agree, but it's an interesting take. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could, I could definitely see that being there. I don't. I mean, I don't think that Alex Garland would have written all of these characters just like, oh yeah, they're, it's just some dudes. You know, I, I, I definitely think that they're supposed to represent things. That's why you've got... But then again, it also could be like just literally the different positions in which men have authority. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, James has authority in the home, uh, uh, You've got a police officer, an incompetent police officer. Uh, you've got a religious figure. You've got people that work at establishments. And even in the very place that you're trying to go to to get away from this horrible toxicity, you've just 
there's also a guy there. Or you're just going on a nice stroll and there's just, you're randomly going to run into a guy while having a personally health healthful and healing moment. Or you're going to go on a stroll to get away from stuff and there's going to be a horrible little boy. The, the last place you'd expect it, but there it is too. It's like she's a walking magnet for this stuff, literally, in the film. I mean, anywhere she goes, she draws this horrible energy towards her because it's, you know, it's 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 kind of fun to like wonder, the you know how how would that work? You know, are these are these does this place actually exist? Are these people real? Are they do they only behave this way when a woman comes into their environment? I mean, you know, it's it, it's all it's really crazy the way it's presented, very dreamlike kind of. I don't know. And we're coming up on a point where like she's even accused of of drawing this energy towards herself, and I think really what's supposed to be happening is like. I think part of what Alex Garland is going for is that this is part of the female experience of it's it feels like you're drawing all of this to you, but it's just because you're there and a man decides that you are this thing, then then, you know, it's time for that energy to go towards you, whether or not you're putting out anything. I, I also think that, like, part of this movie is projection of Alex Garland's own psychology on of the course. issue. Which which is going to be unique and and from a per- certain perspective, which I get and and fully appreciate, and I think that's part of why I am the right audience for this movie is because like I think what he's projecting is uh, a specific kind of anxiety. Like I think this movie is a projection of Alex Garland's anxiety about being a male in a, a culture that has recently way more widespread and mainstreamedly come to started very where at the very beginning of coming to terms with the pervasiveness of toxic masculine cultural uh, norms and uh, being part of that. Like, I, I think what's going on is we're seeing, we're seeing Alex Garland coming to exploring the idea of, of exhibiting toxic masculine behaviors. Yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, probably, probably part of that questioning is, you know, like, is it, is it something I can, is there anything I can even really do about it? Like, it's, it's, yeah. it's built into me, you know, but at the same time, you know, I, I don't like it. I don't, I don't want this to be a part of me, but at this, it just is, you know, so it's like, what the fuck? Because yeah. that's it. That is part of where that anxiety comes from. You know, it's like, you know, we are guys, and it's you know, but that which also brings up the question: like, it's what makes this movie kind of kind of strange is that you know we're dealing with all of this stuff, and of course, in order for a film to go this deep into a subject like this, it it has to be made by a dude. It has <laughs> to be made by a dude, and the and like. It's 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 not a movie about the female experience. Like the the movie is it, it it's like a uh, with Robert Frost. He's got the poem "The Road Not Taken," mm-hmm. where it when you read it, it feels like it's a poem about taking the road less traveled. But then when you look at the title again, it's him obsessing about the road that he didn't take. This movie feels like it could be a movie about the female experience of toxic masculinity. But you look at the title, no, this movie is about men. And we just needed a female character at the center to have all of this horrible energy directed towards. Like, it's, it's, 
not about her. Like, this movie is really about men. It's directed, like, it's a good movie to have directed by men. I know that's one of the criticisms of you should have had a female direct this movie about the female experience of male to toxicity, but it's it's not that. It's literally a movie about men's stuff and, and the replication of that toxic masculinity. I think, anyway, I could be wrong. I could be an asshole. No, I, I think you're right. I mean, it's a very male way of looking at that kind of thing. I, I mean, even to the point of, like, grotesque special effects and things. I mean, you know, we, we, we talked about St. Maud recently where, you know, she shies away from that kind of, you know, some of, there's some effects in it, but it's, it's you know, she doesn't need to use that, that kind of stuff to tell the kind of story that she's telling, which was a very female point of view. You know, it wasn't necessarily, like, as we said, it wasn't about men. Um, where, I mean, whereas, like, this one is very clearly about, like you said, about male behavior. And and it wouldn't, it would be a totally different movie if a woman made it. Because she, why the hell would she make it from that perspective? It, it's not insultingly male. It's not like it's, you know, it's not like a, it's, it's preachy or, you know, trying to, it, it's, it, it, I don't think that it, makes women look bad in any way, even even inadvertently. Um, nope. I, I, I know that he he definitely had consulted with her directly for, like, some of, like, the dialogue for the scenes where she's interacting with, you know, James in particular. He wanted, <laughs> you know, kind of, how would you react, if you, you know, if you were in this situation? What kind of things would you say or whatever, you know? So he was, he wasn't, it's not like he was shutting out <laughs> a female perspective, but... Having said that, it's it's a story about, like you said, it's a story about men, yeah. like being d being dumb fucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, like I I experience, you know, in in a uh, we're now in a a post Me Too society. I experience anxiety about like what at what points have I been a total piece of shit? You know, I'm sure I have. I I like I I am part of this culture I, i'm sure i have and it's made me like more aware of my interactions like especially at work uh mm -hmm. like you know like what are what are things that i could be saying that i think are normal that are totally creepy towards you know women it's it's a uh, uh, uh hard it's a hard thing to like just be fully self-aware about because if it's a thing that you think is normal it's hard for it to stand out as you know horrible <laughs> so yeah, yeah it's 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 a whole thing it's a oh, man it's interesting um it's that's part of what makes this such a good movie is it it pulling in that little point of yeah. things yeah um okay i guess we should go back to the movie uh at this <laughs> point um she's backed away from the door and now we're hearing this horrible um repetitive scratching noise like yeah. they and it's very repetitive and mechanical and what it is is the dead crow is now basically like some sort of animatronic crow that's doing the same back and forth motion over and over again real real dumb looking and um and the Marilyn Monroe mask from earlier has been placed over the crow so what we're hearing is the the edge of that hard plastic mask scraping back and forth over the countertop or floor or whatever. And the reason that that mask is there is because the little boy from earlier, Samuel, is there in all of his 
tiny, uh, like Rory Kinnear faced weirdness. And he's, uh, he's still got his stupid little tie all done. Fucking punch him in the face style. His cravat. Yeah. And, uh, and he's there and he says, look at what you did to me. And he holds up his arm and his arm is bifurcated like the, like the one that was stuck through the thing. And you, they do, they don't shy away from the inside of it. You see like all of the like musculature and, and fat and veins and stuff, but it's, it's, it's not like dripping. It's, it's not bleeding. It's not dry. It's just shiny. So you're seeing like, once it's done bleeding, just like the, the shiny inside of thereness. And he's, he's got his like sleeve down to a certain point. So it's like kind of holding things together a little bit. So it, it, it gapes apart, but not like all the way, like falling down at a 90 degree angle. It's just kind of like floppy up and down and real gross. And he wants to play hide and seek. And she's, She's not having a good time with it. Um, and then he, uh, he says that, like, you should probably, like, she's, she's like, I'll fucking stab you. And he's like, oh yeah, it, like, comes up to her and she's like holding the knife to him, but she can't stab him because he's a little boy. And, uh, then he's like, oh, well, you probably should have killed me. And, and then she like runs away and he's like, oh, good, hide and seek. So she goes and she hides in a, what kind of looks like a very nice public restroom, but I guess it's just a bathroom when you live in a castle or an estate or something. Yeah, it's like uh, the size of my living room. Yeah. Uh, and then I think one of the uh, one of the other Rory Kinnear incarnations like chases her into there, uh, I feel like, and then she's locked in there. But then, yeah, one of the I think it's another one of the pub guys, right? Yeah, he chases pub her blokes. up the stairs. Anyway, so she's in the bathroom now, and then all of a sudden, the the vicar makes his way in, and uh, he's also got the split arm thing, and now he's quoting Homer to her, which is you know that's normal. That it, that's it's Yates. The that's Yates. Is it, is it Yates? Yeah, it's from Lita and the Swan. Oh, that makes sense because there is a very Yatesy moment coming up later. Okay, I thought because of who he was talking about, I thought he was quoting Homer. That's nice. That's good. Yeah, he quotes the Yates and then he quotes uh, another guy later uh, in the second little bit. Is it yeah. Samuelson? I forget what the guy's name is. It's, uh, <laughs> that would make another sense. Another poet, but yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and... Um, and he's got... He, so he's he's quoting all of this stuff. Yeah, Lita and the Swan. That totally... that. That makes way more sense. Wow. Um, and, I mean, I didn't. Uh, I didn't know. I read it somewhere. I, I wouldn't have picked up on it. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. I just assumed because of uh, the stuff. But yeah, like Lita and the Swan is a perfect poem to include in here. I figured. Uh, yeah, I figured you would know it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's you. You know. It's uh, um. What when Zeus uh became a swan so he could rape Lita? Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So he he comes at her and he's talking about how he's been thinking about her virginity ever since they talked and how old she was and he's been imagining her with her legs open and her vagina open and and she's talking about her slit and she like points the knife at him and he's like that's right that's what it is it's just the tip of the knife and it's like Ugh. and then he sexually assaults her. Uh, uh, part of it is he, he takes the, 
the arm that's cut it half lengthwise and holds her around the neck with it so that like half of his hand is on one side of her neck and half of his hand is on the other side of her neck and it's just so it's like a like a hand fork it's disgusting it's so horrible he also quotes uh, the other thing that he quotes is uh is a poem called ulysses from a guy named samuel daniels oh okay uh, yeah which uh which is touching on uh when when uh, Odysseus is returning from the Trojan War, or Ulysses for the Romans, yeah. uh, he he sees these sirens, and the, the sirens sing to him. So remember, he tells her, you know, she's singing to him or something like that. Um, but in the in the poem, he he well, he has this. He's like trying to. He's struggling with himself. Does he want to give in and let the siren take him away, or does he want to do his own thing and tell the siren to go pound rocks? And, you know, like, basically what, what I had read was that it's like, it basically presents women as, you know, a form of beauty that we either destroy or be destroyed by, which is a very male interpretation of Yeah. Yeah. It's like, dude, okay. You know, why do you have to weaponize it? <laughs> either way, it's their fault. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's what all that shit is. That, that vicar is a bad man. Yeah, he is he is a a bad poetically literate man and uh, he begins <laughs> with to a say, really gross hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And lips, really gross lips too. Yes. <laughs> uh, and just one of the many terrible haircuts in this movie. Oh man. She, that, so he's he's quoting all of these poems uh, before he assaults her. Uh, she asks, "What the fuck are you?" And that's when he starts talking about her virginity and stuff. And he he tells her that he uh, he says, "I have decided that you are an expert in carnality." Where like that's the thing. And he he talks about how you know he's been thinking about her body and when she the the first time that she had sex. And that that is all her fault. That she's the she has this power to do this to him, and and so now he's going to assault her sexually because of her, and and it's because of the the like powerfulness of her bodily femaleness that he is doing this. Thus, her fault, not his fault. It's so fucking. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. And so she stabs the fuck out of him. Yes, she does. It's great. In this, yeah. like, great reversal of, of penetration. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, she just, like, slides <laughs> it and he moans, like, in painful ecstasy. It's disgusting. Oh, amazing. <laughs> it's just like, oh, man, chef's kiss there. Ah, <laughs> oh, that hand, that split hand thing on the, oh, it's so uh, disgusting. On, on either side of her neck. Uh. <laughs> It's great. It's quite a shot. I, I, it looks so good. It had to be CGI. I, I, it can't. It can't possibly be a practical effect. It just looks too good. Yeah, it, ah, man. If it's, it's a prop, just, I want one. Just yeah. flopping around in the hood. Yeah. Yeah, it it won't fl- fall all the way off, but it's just not hanging together. It's just a little spring effect on the bottom. Oh, it's so gross. <sighs> so Thank she, you, Alex. Yes. So after she stabs the the vicar incarnation of whatever the hell's going on. She runs out of the house. We hear the uh we hear the opening song chord kind of coming back in. 
the the, le- <laughs> the pleasant, lovely guitar sounds, and then we hear the the as she's driving off in her car to get the fuck out of there. She's like, "Fuck this!" And she's so she's taking off. She's driving away in the dark, completely. <laughs> completely annihilates Jeffrey standing in the middle of the road. <laughs> just it's, it's like, I don't know how he survived that, but she just waylays him. And then he, He's he gets... Yeah, she's like standing, sitting there in shock in the car. He gets up, drags her out of the car, and goes, Miss Marlow? Mrs. Marlow! <laughs> Turns out he's a real prick. Yeah, so he gets in the car and drives away, speeds off into the distance, and we hear this like real low moany chanting, like really weird. She looks up, and she's looking at the Milky Way above her in this beautiful shot, and then as as this is happening, uh, he comes speeding back. Like we see the headlights coming around the bend, and she she takes off. It's like you know Hitchcock movie or something where. What is it, North by Northwest, where Cary Grant is being chased by the plane? So, yeah, he comes around and he's, 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 they show him in the car and he's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> That was horrible. Gonna get her. <laughs> it's horrendous. So he chases her. She runs into the courtyard and runs right through this little entrance gate and the car just slams into what I think you put was the, was like the world's strongest light post. Yeah. It's like, how did it completely not not just stop the car, but destroy the car? Yeah, it's it's just this uh, like uh, rock and mortar. It looks like it's maybe like not, it's not waist high. No. It's just like, and it's got a little light on the top of it. I guess not gas. It must be electric, but it is just firmly in the ground. And I guess British cars aren't <laughs> capable of standing up to that because the car stops dead and is now just blown up into pieces, whereas that little rock thing is just fine. It's perfectly fine. That thing is good to go. <laughs> yeah. Good British home construction, not so much on the cars. <laughs> so the car crashes, and we see her she's, she turns around, she's looking in that like through the hedge that she's just run through right beyond where the car crashes. There's all the smoke, you know, steam or whatever coming off the car. The headlights are are backlighting that uh, that entry. So it's real the real bright cloud of steam and stuff. And then we hear someone come through and instead of Jeffrey stepping through, it's the green man, basically, the naked guy in full yeah. green man face. Like the face is is the is green man. His tongue is even green, which was disgusting. And then yeah. he's got, like, sticks growing out of his shoulders. And, you know, he's still got a semi-human body, but the face is full green, man. Was, yeah, it, he's been, he's been like, spray-painted like a cake on the face. Yeah. A very it's a well-decorated cake, I have to say. Yeah, I'd eat that cake. <laughs> it's a lion. Rory Kinnake. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Rory Kinnake. <laughs> nice. So yeah, so now now we've got the uh, full-on naked green man, and uh, she's you know I, I can only imagine what what state she's in at this point. She eventually she just gets exhausted, like she doesn't even seem surprised anymore. It's great. <laughs> yeah, at a certain point she's just standing there like, uh. she's just like, all right, whatever. Um, uh, so he, he, oh, you're gonna do it again? Okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so he he starts stepping towards her. His ankle s- snaps. And uh, which is disgusting, 
And then we realize that he's he's mega pregnant, like super pregnant. Yeah. And he's like, oh, and he falls to the ground on like on his back. He rolls up and lifts his legs up. And as I put it, gooch births Samuel. <laughs> His gooch. I'm so glad that you have to describe all of this. <laughs> I know. It's like, oh my god. So he lays. Folks, this is yeah. a key moment in the movie. Like this is this is the thing that you have to pay attention to. Everything has been building up to this little session of delight. He's pregnant. A complete flip around of the whole you know fertility business and all that. Like the the yeah the worst possible expression of the green man and Sheila Nagig. And the roles flipped, so, um, so he lays on his back and horribly gooch births Samuel, which slides out of his gooch gina, and uh, it's horrendous. And and we're just getting started. Oh yeah. <laughs> so Samuel comes out. He stands up. He's like, <laughs> he's super pregnant with his big distended belly, and then he. His navel turns into a vagina and births the vicar, who slimes out of his belly onto the floor. Samuel falls dead on the ground. The the vicar, like, like crawls across the yard, births slinkies across the yard, all shiny and bloody and disgusting. His hair's all, like, stuck to his head. She's backing away. Uh, he crawls into the house. And they're in the entranceway there, and then he he's pregnant, of course, and then he yeah. gets down, like, kind of like his, you know, on his hands and knees with his head down, and then his spine between his shoulders starts vag-birthing, and, like, out of his spine comes, uh, it was James, I think, right? Are we at James no. at that point yet? No. 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 No, no it's, it's Jeffrey. Jeffrey. That's right. It's yeah. Jeffrey. Gee, dear God. Jeffrey comes out all toothy. He's in the entranceway. He's like slopping, slipping in the blood, and it's uh, lots of lots of good like the the bones pop like like uh, the you could uh, like the bones popping out under the skin and uh, like you seeing the shape of something trying to push its way out of his back. Uh, it's so good. It's so it's amazing. It's really amazing and disgusting. So he's now he's slipping around in his in the in the the mess, and uh, he. He, Jesus Christ, he, he stands up, he stands up and he's all, <laughs> and then he cranks his head back <laughs> and starts mouth birthing feet that are like coming out of like feet at weird angle with one broken, like cranked up rick ankle out of his mouth. He mouth births James uh, for the ultimate and she grabs the axe from the fireplace. So that's so now she's got the axe. So he mouth bursts James, and James cuts out, and then just gets up, sits on the couch, and she sits next to him with an axe in her hand, and he starts Jamesing her, basically, like <laughs> gaslighting, giving her the, the business again. Um, he but, just wants to be loved. Yeah, but more, more toned down and, and you know, just kind of, you know, this is what you did. And uh, she says, what is it that you want from me? And he says, your love. Yeah. Which is like, oh, all of this was for her love. Uh, so 
she says, she just kind of sits there and goes, yeah. (laughs) It's so dismissive. I love it. She's just like, yeah. And then you see her kind of like flipping her thumb across the the axe blade. And then it goes black and the word men goes across the screen real big. Boom, men. And then it cuts back and we see the next day Riley drives into the like courtyard area. We hear the theme song playing. Um, she she gets out, goes into the court, into the entryway to the house. Sees all the blood stains, the drag marks, and then yeah, we even see uh, the car that's crashed yeah. into the light post, and 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 Harper is soaked in blood, like in all the places that she had blood on her before. She's sitting on the this like little stairway out in the garden. Riley sees her and goes over, um, and she looks at her. She sees all the blood on her, and she sees Harper is smiling, and. Uh, covered in blood and holding, she's smiling at a leaf in her hand, basically. Um, so what I had read was, and actually this makes sense, um, that she probably killed James with that axe and put an end to it. And then in, okay. in the end, she has now, oh, and then we see that Riley is pregnant. Yeah. And that's basically the end of the movie. But, um, well, the end of the movie is her holding the leaf. Right before that, we see that Riley's smiling. And so the the take that I had read, again, which I really liked, was that this bastardization of creation, which had been reclaimed by this weird nature culty environment that she found herself in, where men were taking responsibility for creation. We're the ones who are responsible for all of this. You know, you're just a, a vessel, I guess, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And... uh well, you know, the tables have been flipped back now. Riley is there. She's pregnant. Uh, uh, Harper has destroyed whatever the fuck that malevolent thing was. And the the rightful role of fertility and all that stuff has been given back to the, to the you know, to the women. That's kind of like this take that I had read, which I thought was pretty interesting. I don't know, but I like the ending. I like that she's, she, she's just, it's, she wins. Like... Whatever the fuck no. happened, she conquered it. And uh, yeah. movie's over. We see the dandelion bits floating around behind the credit scene. And eventually they form into like a ball. Did you see that? It co- I didn't. They coalesce into a ball shape. And I was like, is that supposed to be an egg? Like a fertilized egg or something? I don't know what it was. I, I, I didn't. I don't know. And then we hear the. we hear that love song again, which supposedly is Elton John. Doesn't sound like him. And, uh, again, I read that. I had no idea. And, uh, that's the movie. Yeah. Men over. Men done. (laughs) What a fucking trip. Yeah, that ending is, uh, that packs a punch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I read that he, he got, he was trying to figure out what to do with the transformation, and he got the idea, he didn't like any of the stuff he'd come up with, and then he watched... Uh, have you seen Attack on Titan? No, I have not. Oh, that's right. It is there is something like that in there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. You should you should watch the first episode of Attack on Titan. Then you, you can be done with it. But the first episode of it is uh glorious. And he was he was watching this show, uh I think he said like his his kid was watching it, and he was like, Oh, that's really neat. And that's a lot of uh like um 
with it with attack on titan like all of a sudden there will be like a, a giant horrible like just really a loathsome human but gigantic and then it turns out that the actual person is like living inside the nape of the neck and controlling it and you can like cut them out if you like cut open the nape of the neck you can like yoink them out of there nice and that's where yeah. you got that idea from apparently yeah wow that's yeah quite he a did take a, on he that. did a really cool thing with it <laughs> wow that's fantastic yeah i mean it's it's uh it's a great way to end a movie <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah just in case you didn't think it was a horror film it, it certainly takes you in that direction there i mean it's it's yeah got a lot of horror tropes you know the, the lady stuck in the house or traps you know being stalked in the house home invasion uh you know uh, a lot of that kind of stuff, but, you know, has some weird, like, stalkery, slashery feel elements to it, although the, without the slashing. And, uh, yeah. you know, a bunch of other weirdness, but, yeah, that's, uh, that whole bit at the end is fantastic. Yeah, it is. It is really good. Yeah, it's like, imagine, imagine if, uh, at the end, Jason Voorhees, like, would not stop giving birth to himself out of a, a variety of holes. <laughs> Which, which I had read was again was was like this masculine figure or this embodiment of toxic masculinity, basically making a mockery of birth, like saying, "Well, I can, I'll get birth out of here. I'll get birth. I don't fuck. It doesn't even fucking matter. Like, yeah, I can just, get birth out of anything. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. It doesn't look like it's you're having so. a good time. No." Oh man, that scene like the the after the first birth where it's Samuel and he's just like kneeling and just yelling crying at her as his stomach is getting more pregnant. That was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> it's like this I don't know, man. It was like this weird chain of of things happening so quickly and you're just like getting steamrolled with all this crazy shit. It, and but it has this bizarre like like you're reading a chapter in the Bible feel to it. Like it just has this weird, like, like the symbolism is so dense that it, it's just coming at you too fast. You just have to kind of let it happen and then you'll have to deal with it later. You know, it's like, we're going to have to sort this out later, but for right now, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think he's, he's definitely going for that. He's going for like the idea of this being the really big, huge fundamental elements. That's why we've got, We've got uh, Greek imagery. We've got biblical imagery. We've got old pagan imagery, like with these with these universal deities. Uh, and also, I would like to uh, read the last two lines from the poem "The Second Coming" from William Butler Yeats, which is "And what and what rough beast? Its hour come round at last." slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. Oh. It's like that whole sequence of the birth slinky of like uh, going down the stairs as one thing bursts to the next, I think is very that rough beast slouching toward Bethlehem to be born. I, I, with, of course, Bethlehem being Harper. That's that. I'm actually familiar with that. That's great. That is a great connection. I didn't even think about that. That's wonderful. I always love that yeah. line. It makes more yeah. sense that he quoted... Uh, uh, Yates earlier in the oh, movie. That's good stuff. 
Yeah, yeah, that's very, like, I always struggled with that poem, like, what does it mean to slouch towards Bethlehem? And now I have one vision that will always come up in my brain. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a, didn't, did, what was the Joan Didion book, Slouching Towards Gomorrah, I think it was called? Oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> that sounds right. I was like, wow, that's a really cool title, but then I realized where she got that from, and I'm like, oh, that's way cooler. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder what they'll do with Gamora instead. <sighs> and of course, like I like the uh, he talks about so in the same scene where she mentions that her name is Marlowe is the same scene where he mentions Shakespeare, which is there's this whole theory that Christopher Marlowe was secretly the person writing the works that Shakespeare put out under his oh. name. And so that plays into the whole uh, uh, masculinity culture, self-replicating and who is even credited or to blame and stuff like that. It's he's, he's hitting all the notes. He, he's, he, he's got Yeats, Odysseus, Shakespeare and Marlowe. Like he's, he's, not going for the small fries. We've got, you know, like Adam in the Garden of Eden. We've got it's it's so fucking good. Zeus, Agamemnon. Uh, I mean, H Helen. Uh, I mean, it goes on and on. It's ridiculous. Helen of Troy yeah. and the whole yeah. the whole Trojan fucking war. It's like, like okay, sure, why not? <laughs> you know, it's funny. Because, and then, of oh, course, well, I was going to say it, it's funny because you know, like literature has a long history. You know, film doesn't, and so. It's really hard for film to create high art because it doesn't have this classical history to draw from, you know. And so it's 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 hard to tell, you know, something in a in a in a higher form of artistic, you know, quality because film is just not associated with that. And so you, it either just looks pretentious or impenetrable or both or just bad, like you know. So it's it's a hard thing to 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 kind of draw that shit in. So I, I imagine as an author who obviously thinks of himself as a pretty good author, uh, it's got to be difficult to try to, it's like, how am I going to get these ideas into this movie without it just turning off everybody? You know, like it's got to be watchable. <laughs> I know what I'll do. I'll have multiple new vag birth from dude to dude while I'm shoveling this weirdness out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, e even that part of the story where he's talking about the fact that he was trying these different things and none of them were working, I, I, I appreciate that because he's, like, being creative, but he just, everything that he's coming up with wasn't working according to him, and, like, he's like, yeah, but this just, this is what we could do, but it sucks, and, like, I super appreciate that struggle and the fact that he's willing to like admit to that he was like yeah all of the stuff i was coming up with was dumb and then i watched this cartoon and i was like oh that's brilliant <laughs> i'll do that that's fantastic i love that he didn't know what he was gonna do and that's like the whole fucking centerpiece of the movie i mean the movie yeah. <laughs> the movie for me is really entertaining i, I it was just i like the way it flowed and the visuals and all that kind of stuff but but then that that last piece is just it's just one of those things that you see in a movie that you can't forget you know and you hear that a lot yep. and maybe it's true but it it's really hard to just walk past that what you what you just witnessed in the last twenty minutes or whatever it's like oh okay wow okay yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah, leaving leaving the movie theater leave, from watching that, you're probably not going to be talking about all of that symbolism. <laughs> probably the first thing you'll be talking about is like, so all those births, huh? <laughs> Imagine that on the big screen, Dan. That would have been something else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you see the movie Mother? Oh fuck yes! Yeah, this movie has big mother yeah. energy. Yeah. Big mother energy. It does. Yeah, yeah. Those because yeah, it's also it's uh it's it's not messing around with like small fries. It's like dealing with these big elemental things and this this otherworldly horror. I, oh, we should do Mother too. That movie's so fucking good. Even Melanie, who hates horror movies, loves that movie and also has a very hard time rewatching it's, it. It's a tough watch. I mean, it's got some rough yeah. moments for sure. Ooh, one particularly just, oh my god. Oh, we are all doomed. It is really good, though. Is, it, that's, is that an Aronofsky film? I believe I believe that is Aronofsky, or perhaps the other one that I always confuse with Aronofsky. Maybe not, because Aronofsky made Noah, and that movie fucking blows my nards. That movie sucks so bad. <laughs> but it looks just like you. Yeah, it does look just like me. But that movie fucking sucks. It's so bad. It is terrible. Let's see. Aronofsky did... He did Pi. He did Noah. He did... Uh, he did Noah. He did Mother. He did Black Swan. Oh, yeah. The Wrestler. Oh, the Wrestler. The Fountain. Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, he did The Fountain. Yeah. Um, what's what's the one... He's The guy that I always get him mixed up with is... Um, it's not full of Michael Thomas, is it? One of those no. Thomas Banana Penis. Nicole Kidman movie something. Oh, Dogville. That's uh, the movie's called Dogville. Oh, you're thinking of which Von Trier, a, but it's not a Von Trier film. Yeah, Lars Von Trier. I, I get Darren Aronofsky and Lars Von Trier mixed up. Well, that's yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. why not? I'm sure they would love to hear that. It is, yeah, it's Aronofsky. Yeah, Aronofsky made it. Which uh, one? Uh, Mother. Yeah, yes, he, he made oh, okay. Yeah. Your mother. <laughs> yeah. Man, oh man. Yeah, good stuff. Um, yeah, I, I also wanted to point out, like, so there's the, even all of the big, heavy element uh, things in there, the, the simple one of the apple not falling far from the tree imagery is great. And I love that whenever he was talking about it, Jeffrey was like, uh, if if they if they fall to the ground and then you end up with a house full of wasps, I thought that was funny because you've got white Anglo-Saxon Protestants and it's like, oh, that's that's a good joke. Solid joke. There. A whole town full of wasps. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. that was really good. I mean this movie this movie could have yeah. easily gone south. I mean how many times do you start like I was just thinking it reminds me of like when somebody says you know, some movie comes out and it looks like it would be interesting, but then you start hearing everybody's like, dude, it's fucking terrible. And then you watch it anyway because you want to see for yourself. And maybe like the first half is great or whatever. So you're like, I knew this movie wasn't going to be bad. And then it, and then you're like, but I, everybody says it's terrible. So something must take a turn. And then it takes that fucking turn. And you're just like, how did you go so far off the fucking rails? Like, you had something good going, and then you just took a shit on your own project. But this movie doesn't do that. Like, it, 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 
it starts cool, it's fun to watch, and it remains, like, certainly is fun to watch at the end. I mean, it just, even if it makes no fucking sense at all, it's fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Fuck, yeah, it's great. Like, I mean, I, I talked earlier about it not being completely successful, and whenever I say it's not completely successful, I am, like, nitpicking yeah. on, like, little things that could be done better, maybe something that could be clear or whatever, or just, like, stylistically different, but, but yeah, overall, it just, it just is firing on all cylinders, like, it, it, especially at the end, it really, like, picks up speed, like some kind of Rory in a car, and, and goes for it. I did think the scene where she's just, like, standing there, I guess it even makes sense, but she's standing there and looking up at the Milky Way is was a little much but i guess it's part of part of his working with all of the big elemental yeah. things and and her being a smallness in comparison to a bigness yeah. but it was also a little bit like yeah really okay yeah. that's fine yeah. i guess yeah yeah i know it kind of took me out for a second i was like uh all right i'll i'll, I'll accept that i'll accept that answer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um at this point i i want to give it my rating uh i've already said all of the things i don't i don't want to go back over all of them because it, at this point it would just be obnoxious for me to say them again uh but but yeah it's all of the points go back through it if you want to hear it i gave this a 4.7 out of 5 it's just it, it's not perfect uh I think I think if I if this was an art film podcast, it would probably be perfect. Like, but because this is a horror movie podcast, I'm grading it as a horror movie. It's not quite perfect, but it is so, so close and it is so good and definitely watch it. Be open minded uh, and don't be an asshole. It's four point seven out of five loathsome things. <laughs> I love it. I'm basically in the same range like I was. Struggling with all the stuff that we, we we talked about as far as, like, in relation to how I wanted to rate it. You know, one of the things that, you know, like, I was like, I really just am inclined, am inclined to give it a five because I just like it so much. But then I'm like, I can't just give all these new movies fives based on my early <laughs> impression of them because they may not age that well for me. And then I thought, you know... It, then there's this and that and all that. And ultimately, I was like, you know what? Who fucking cares? Our, our rating system is absolutely meaningless. It has no relevance yes. in reality. So I just gave it a five. Yeah. Like, oh, fuck it. I love this movie. I, you know, I, I've been I've been critical of movies that I really love. And I've given them what would be kind of a, you know, medium, like, and I think that's fair. Like, those movies were probably not that great, but I just liked them. And so it's like, you use different criteria for different movies. I just had so much fun watching this every time. It, it, it you know, I, I got more out of it the more I watched it. That's always a good sign for me. Yep. You know, I I can see the, I understand the criticisms. I, I think a lot of them maybe are fair. You know, I, I could see how somebody would be willing to argue a different position. But man, I loved it. So whatever. Yeah, I mean, he, he really swung for the fences with this one. And it's it's fucking great somebody paid to make somebody was like he pitched this to someone i don't know if he pitched that scene no, obviously not <laughs> there's i mean how did the fuck did somebody pay for that someone was like honey and you need how many million oh yeah let me just get my checkbook out 
Because, I mean, talk about taking a gamble. I guess they figured Annihilation probably did better than they expected, but somebody gave them the money to make that. Yeah. X-Men Machida probably cost because of the, the robot effects, but the rest of it was, you know, just some house in the middle of nowhere, and the rest was just acting and stuff. So it, that part couldn't have been too expensive, but Annihilation had to be extremely expensive. That's oh, it is such a good movie, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then this one, I guess it's, again, that's another one, though, where it's like, I mean, obviously there's there's CGI in the movie, but it's used well, and then there's, you know, a lot of practical effects. Most of the movie isn't any of that. It's just good cinematography. Alex Garland really likes a character being still in a scene that the character is contemplating. Like... <laughs> Any any Alex Garland thing, someone's going to be sitting or standing still and just really thinking about their surroundings. Having a good think at your expense. <laughs> like, hmm, but how do I feel about artificial intelligence in this very nice house? <laughs> You're like, I don't know, but I do know that I'll never live in a house like this. So let's just move forward with the story. <laughs> to fuck or not to fuck a robot. <laughs> Exactly. Oh my god. Uh, so that makes this a 9.7 out of 10 loathsome things. That puts it in fourth place on our all-time list, uh, just below Night of the Living Dead and just above Mike Takashi's audition. That's a pretty good spot for this. I feel all right about that. Not bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not better than Night of the Living Dead, but uh Yeah. <laughs> I don't I mean I don't know, Audition's right there though, but I guess that you could on a different day we might have, you know, graded those different. Yep, flipped them. I could see that. It also has some some similarities to Audition, thematic yeah. and visual. Yeah. You know? That's Got true. Got that leg coming off or that foot coming off. <laughs> 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 oh, is this lady alone in a house? Nope. <laughs> Not quite. How how hereditary of, of that scene. <laughs> and John, I have a question for you. In this movie, who would you say is the motherfucking asshole? Uh James. James. That's that's the that's my motherfucking asshole because it all centers around how much of a motherfucking asshole he is. Or is it just men in general? Well, I, I think men is the easy answer, <laughs> given the title. I guess I have to pick a character. So even though all those characters are probably all the same character, yeah, I don't know. James James is a son of a bitch. I'm, I'm going to go with the vicar, just to... Yeah. I think the vicar was the motherfucking asshole, because Samuel was just a kid. James was just a troubled mess of a human. Just a a, a failed human. An asshole. Yeah. But yeah. the vicar was in a position of power, you know, supposed to be a learned man, supposed to be a counselor, a healing person. Uh, he's none of those things. He's just a prick. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? I, I pretty much agree. I mean, James is more than just a, a failed human. Well, he was until he collapsed into a heap of gore um uh you know he was physically violent emotionally uh abusive uh i think i think they both count as the motherfucking asshole although J with james he did a physical assault and years of abuse whereas the vicar 
is super rapey and like probably not just to Harper. You know, you've you've got a position like that. I I mean, he's probably Church of England. You know, he's pr- instead of uh, Catholic, but priests do horrible things. I think there's maybe more than one reason why Samuel was wearing a lady mask. A pretty lady mask. Oh, man. So, this movie, like, it, yeah. I, I, they're both the motherfucking asshole. I have a question, John. What, I don't get, I feel like, other than trying to kill her with a car, what was the thing that made Jeffrey horrible? I mean, he tried to kill her with a car, but up until that point, like, we never really got a heel turn from him. He just finally had enough after she concussed him Well, with an automobile? That's why I, I, those kind of things all play into my interpretation that the whole thing is supposed to be allegorical. Like, he's he's not really an actual person. He's more of a representation of of a kind of person or a trait that, that we often see exhibited in men, like not necessarily the pastoral, like hickish British country <laughs> character, but more of the impotent, like, you know, the, the guy who's just not very, he's not very confident. He's kind of a bore, you know, he's, he's just, he's just kind of a doofus, you know, and he, he obviously is not the, he obviously doesn't, have any like even the remote remotest concept how to deal with interact with women you know he's just like this doofus like this awkward idiot who's kind of foppish and that's the way i kind of read him i mean he doesn't really so he doesn't necessarily turn towards being bad because he's he's just another facet of a specific type of identity or not a specific type but a He's he's part of this amalgamation of masculine stupidity, you know. I mean, so I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think he turns or? Well, I mean, he like he he turns the car around. I guess is like the actual turn of it. But yeah, I guess I guess he was kind of like a he was always kind of like snivelly and like eh, single or you know like judging her yeah. for stuff. So I think it was a a uh, he he was. Less of a like direct and more of like a microaggression facet yeah. of masculine toxicity, I guess. Oh, for that sure, makes more sense. He, yeah. yeah, he's definitely passive aggressive for sure. Yeah, but I see. I just like before I even saw the movie, and I realized from the trailer that you know Kinnear was playing all these different characters. I was trying to figure it like in my mind why would that be, and so you know what I came up with was well, they're probably all facets of the same thing, which, I mean, would be the obvious guess. Um, you know, it's, it's like, I didn't think it was some demon that was possessing all these male characters. And, you know, I, I just thought of it as they're all representative of something, is symbolic of something. So it's not, it's, it's being told to us, it's being told to us as if she's, you know, uh, experiencing all of this stuff, but she may not, it may not necessarily be a, a literal depiction of anything that she's experiencing. It's just a way of trying to portray this idea, um, through, you know, through film, basically. Um, and make it an entertaining movie to watch at the same time. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck yeah. I'm talking about. <laughs> Sorry, it's hard to do that. It's hard to know what the fuck one is talking about when talking about this movie. 
This movie is is ripe for bloviation. I, I'm going to do a play called "What We Talk About When We Talk About Men." <laughs> and it's just going to be like I don't know. It's just a bunch of a bunch of dudes on stage like oh, I don't know. You want to I don't know. I guess go assault someone. Kind of bored. You want to go assault somebody? Yeah. No, you're gay. <laughs> it's two and a half hours of that. Yeah. Hey, sports. Am I right? <laughs> you want to know how I know you're gay? You talk about men for two and a half hours. <laughs> we never once commented on the size of his penis. That's how I know you're gay. <laughs> oh, fascinating. All right. Well, uh, if you have another take on this movie than the one that we had, or if you like, you know, thought it sucked or thought we got it wrong, you can tweet or insta us on those two platforms at Loathsome Pod, or you can reach out to us on Facebook, where I posted a fascinating photo, uh, uh, etching or sketch of a, uh, a woman with tiny, tiny feet showing her vagina to a demon who is horrified by it. <laughs> I love that. That is from a, like, 1700s book of children's fables. <laughs> That's not problematic. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Or you can email us at loathsomethings at gmail.com. This will be, uh, our episode will be dropping during the first weekend of Jordan Peele's Nope. So if you haven't seen it, go out and watch Nope, because it looks like it's going to be really fucking good. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty psyched. Thanks for listening, and I'm sorry you all have to die.